Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I have the great honor of speaking with Paul Branton. He uh, is an artist and father out of Chicago, Illinois. We talk about the aftermath of COVID-19, individual freedom, transgenderism, creating art from the heart, the importance of role models, reparations, categorization in art, marketing in art, basic income, the future of our species, and other topics. Paul was also my cousin, I'm honored to say. This podcast is supported by a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Kari underscore Filer to support the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Push. I do go. know like a lot of a lot of Asian cultures just just out of politeness, they've always worn masks. Hmm. Just, you know, because they didn't want to spread germs. They do. They do. Uh, and I've, I've started the recording now, just to let you know. Uh, okay. And they, I think we could actually do with a large dose of that in our own culture. Uh, people, I feel like Americans are a little bit self-conscious about the mask because the mask does, when it's used in those Asian cultures, does indicate that you're feeling a little unwell. That's why people wear a mask. They wear a mask because they're feeling a little bit unwell and they don't want to transmit whatever they may or may not have. Maybe they know they're sick. Maybe they just feel a little off, but they wear the mask anyway as a precaution. And it tells other people, hey, I'm not feeling okay. Uh, but they still go around and move around public and, and buy the things they need to buy. Now, maybe this is bad because if you feel sick and you're you're handling the debit card or you're touching the, the the package that you then hand to the person at the checkout stand or something like this, uh, then you're spreading it just as much, as, you know, then the person on the checkout stand has to be aware, but it's a part of their culture. Uh, and we can't just shut down the economy. Uh, we did that for a bit and we can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that, look, we, we did is we tried as hard as we could to shut everything down, keep everybody indoors, slow the spread. Uh, what is it called? Slow the spread, flatten the curve, uh, get everybody vaccinated. We, we've done the bulk of what we're going to be able to do. And I think now my, my opinion is that it's just time to accept that it's part of our civilization now. It's part of our society now. There's a really new bad flu in town. It's probably going to be in town for a long time. So. And just open up, right? Just go open up. Let people go about as they may. No vaccine. I'm against vaccine passports. Um, I am for every business or entity being able to decide for themselves. Um, you know, and I can imagine a situation where, let's say, let's say uh, Chick Fil A corporate says, okay, everybody. Or, or everybody has to do a mask mandate, but then some specific Chick-fil-A in um, in rural Texas says, you know what, we're not going to do the mandate. Don't tell our bosses at corporate and then they don't do it. And then maybe they get in trouble. You know, I can see situations like that. And that's for those entities to hammer out themselves. Uh, but just my personal opinion, I, I'm not for the mandates at a uh at a federal outside of federal level, uh, I think it's great that Joe Biden has told all the federal employees that they need to get mass mandates or that uh, forcing them to. I'm not for mm -hmm. Joe Biden forcing Pepsi employees to get vaccines, if that makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. Um, and I've always thought that 
your body is your body, right? Mm. So you should be in charge of your body. And you can either listen to doctors, listen to advice, listen to scientists, but it, but ultimately it's your decision. Mm. Mm. What to what to do with your body? It's a, it's the same argument with with uh, people a little bit the same. When when we start when you start getting into the the abortion conversation mm. um, and women being able to control their bodies, it, I don't I don't believe in. Hey, you have to have this to do that, or you have to have this to travel here. Because now you're getting into people's personal medical history. Mm. I shouldn't have to tell you my personal medical history unless I have, uh, I mean, unless there's like some imminent danger. Where I mean, is it, if everybody is is following protocol, then everybody should feel whatever safety or comfort that, that, that they want to feel, right? Mm. I don't think that somebody can say, hey, you need to let me know if you're vaccinated or not vaccinated and you can't do this or you can't do that. But I do see different entities. If that's within their policy, then maybe you need to, to get another job at another company that has a different policy. Hmm. Hmm. I am, you know, I under I use the 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 fact that if you get, let's say, let's say it's just the regular flu, right? We're not even talking about specifically COVID nineteen. I don't even have to talk about specifically COVID nineteen. I can just say. The regular flu. If you have the regular flu uh, and you choose not to get a flu shot some particular year where they say, hey, the flu's bad this year. Uh, the flu shot is really recommended. Uh, the reason we recommend it is because the the bug that you get is likely to transform in your body. It's, gonna, it's definitely going to multiply in your body. Uh, and then there are more of that bug in the world. And that affects more than, ju- than just you. That's an externality. Uh, the argument that I used with my wife was that, look, we don't let people just pollute the air, even though they say, oh, it's my right. Well, everybody has to breathe that air. And so I use the same argument to push people, that is push them morally, push them ethically, try to push, try to lean on their heartstrings. I push them with this argument to say, hey, it's not, you're not the only one who affected. Uh, if you get it, we're all affected if you get it. But again, that's a push and not a force. <laughs> and that's the distinction I draw. I say, look, push people hard. Try to get them to take the vaccine. I want I want everybody to get vaccinated. Uh, you know, I don't trust Pfizer implicitly. I don't trust the federal government implicitly. Uh, but I believe that COVID is real. And I believe that the vaccines are effective from the evidence that I see out in the world. That's what that's the, the narrative that makes sense to me. Uh, that's that's the narrative that seems most close to truth and accurate to me that COVID is real and the vaccines are effective. So I encourage everyone to get the vaccine. And still, that's an encouragement. I, I'm not down with forcing anyone 
to get a vaccine outside of the authority of the appropriate entities. And like you said, if you work for for John for John John's Pizza uh, and John John's Pizza says all our employees have to get vaccinated. Otherwise, you can't work here. That's their right. That's their right as a business. If they want to protect their, I think that's protecting their employees and protecting their customers. Maybe somebody mm-hmm. works there would see it as, as being tread on. Uh, and that's their prerogative too. Um, as a, as a country, we've rolled that dice. As a country, we've rolled the dice on freedom. We've, we've put, put it all on red and the wheel is spinning is the analogy that I like to use. So there's no, there's no going back to black. Uh, it's all on red. So <laughs> I would, I would agree with that. So please, Paul, uh, if you would introduce yourself uh, to the people. I'm so delighted to have you here. I'm so glad uh, that you made time for this. Please introduce yourself to the people that are listening. So I, I'm Paul Branton. Um, I I grew up on the south side of Chicago, mainly. Um, I'm a father of four. I am a a visual artist. I do dabble in film and, and poetry. I am, I'm not unique in the fact that I still go to book club meetings. Um, but it seems like that's, that's one of the things that have, has been lost in our culture. People don't, don't have time to, to read anymore. Or they pretend like they don't have time. People will want everything fast and moving fast, and what that's life. And that, and that's that. Me in a nutshell. I'm a very simple, complicated person. I agree. I I agree. I support that. I'm actually a member of a book club too, uh, so we're we're part part of the same crew there. Um, I always supported and, and still support the phrase uh, readers or leaders. And so, uh, you know, you, you want to, there's, there's a certain, I think there's a, a certain transformation to put it away that a podcaster that I like Lex Friedman said it recently. And I haven't, hadn't actually heard it described that way. There's a certain transformation that happens when you really engage with the book. Uh, when you really take the time to read every word uh, and really follow the author's train of thought and let their argument land on you in the spirit that it was intended. Now, you don't have to agree with it. It's just understanding it in the way that they mm-hmm. have articulated it. Just taking the time to do that changes you uh, in a profound way. And uh, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. I'm actually reading Bullshit Jobs by David Graeber right now. Uh, very, <laughs> very happy I picked that up. Uh, have you ever heard of it? I have not. I'm going to have to check it out. So David Graeber, I'm about two chapters in, so I'm not, but I've, I've heard several hours of his lecture on the topic. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of familiar with his argument, but, but I'm only two chapters into the book. It's about a 10 ish chapter book. Uh, his argument is that capitalism in its current incarnation, or even in the incarnation that it was in in the early 20th century, should have created a lot of leisure time for us all. Uh, it was a very popular trope in the mid 20th century and early 20th century that by the year 2000, we would all be doing four hour work weeks because we would have so much productivity based on so little work. We wouldn't have to do all the work that we needed to make all the things that we need. Um, 
yeah, we wouldn't just wouldn't have to do that many hours of work to make all the things we need. Uh, and that was a trajectory that was obvious to a lot of thoughtful people. Um, and we kind of moved that way up until about the 70s, up until about the union strikes, up until about the the pivot, our country's pivot right uh, that it's been doing for the past 50 years. And his argument is that, well, why didn't we get there? He says, because if you look at the productivity, we really could all pretty much have all the things we need with all of us doing much, much, much less work than we do. No, you know, we don't all, we, we really shouldn't have to all be doing 40 hours a week. And what he's pointed out is that a lot of that work, let's say those, a lot of that 36 hours that that's where, where's it coming from? He says it's, it's bullshit. And there are even people that do it that know that it's bullshit. Uh, people just make up job. And the example that he just used in the book was, let's say, uh, there's a military guy that wants to move his office. He's actually on the west side of a particular building and he wants to move his, his office some 30 feet to the east side of the building. And he's a military guy. Uh, mm-hmm. what, and instead of that guy packing up his computer and his desk on a Saturday and moving it all in the course of, you know, two hours, right? Or not even two hours. It's, it's just, he's not taking the furniture with him. Let's say he's just taking his computer and his pictures. So all, in the course of less than an hour, just packing up his computer and moving over there, he has to fill out a form and submit that form to the IT team. And then the IT team fills out a form and submits that to the staffing contractor. And then the staffing contractor fills out a form, submits that to their logistics subcontractor. And then that subcontractor calls him. Now this was came from a person's blog post. So they, they admitted this is their job. Then that person calls them and, or they get a call. They drive them and another person drive between an hour and three hours to the base, pack up the computer, Fill out a form, move it to the other office, unpack it, fill out a form and drive home. And he said, and he said, this is total bullshit. I'm driving for three between one, me and two guys are now spending 10 hours of our time to do something that could take one guy a less than an hour to do. Uh, and that phenomenon is very popular in our culture. Uh, and I, I think the book will, or I don't know what he'll point out, but what I think Uh, What I suspect the book will point out is that this paradigm actually keeps the American people docile, that this paradigm keeps the American people unthinking, uninquisitive and uncurious. And that satisfies a lot of the powers that be. Um, That's what I suspect. So do you do you think. That. The working working people, instead of working 40 hours a week, let's say we even cut that in half, right? Mm. In that that leisure time that they have, they, that, that new 20 hours that they just, do you think that that 20 hours would be used productively? Or do you think it, or do you believe in, uh, the old carnage of like the uh, the idle mind is the, is the the devil's playground, and people become less less lesser than themselves when they're too idle. Uh, I believe that if you take most common Americans that are working forty hours a week at a job that they don't particularly like for a mm. wage that they don't feel is particularly fair. Uh, or you take the 
people who are working 40 hours a week at jobs that they kind of like for jobs that they think are for wages that they think are kind of fair. But uh, you give them those 20 hours a week. What you'll have mm-hmm. at first will be a pendulum swing into the travel television odd sleeping hours right video game binges whatever the people are, mm. are i think you would see that pendulum swing but i do think the pendulum would correct in a in a reasonable amount of time so we're talking months for some days for some mm. years for others but for most people it's going to be a reasonable amount of time that pendulum's going to swing back and then they're, then they're going to go with all that free time they're going to walk outside they're going to they're going to spend their days slowly and that's what's dangerous to the status quo is people spending slow days looking around going, wait a minute, could this be better? <laughs> they go, wait a minute. And then they form political organizations, right? And then they hang out with each other and they form volunteer organizations. And then they, then they start to, the, and that's what I think what would ultimately happen. So I do think the hours would be spent productively eventually for the vast majority of the people. A lot of people I think would just be instantly productive. Uh, I count myself in that category. If you give me all the time in the world, I'm going to make podcasts and build video games and read and, uh, do philosophy. I mean, that's just, that's just my disposition. I think a lot of people are in my category. As a matter of fact, I heard this Nobel prize winner say, you know what you have to do? I think he had a German accent. He said, you know what you have to do to really get the best out of people? You have to let them pursue the things that they want to do. And I thought, you know what? That's right. Uh, you, you mm-hmm. want to give people the people who will be Nobel prize winners. If you give them freedom, now, for every one person that's going to do that, there are thousands that aren't. But for every, let's say, 100,000 that are trapped in some 40-hour cycle, that's 100 Nobel Prize winners that we're locking up. So you've got to free them, too. you got to free the, those 999 to get that one Nobel Prize winner. And I think that's worth it. Uh, so I think, I think mostly it will be good. I, I do think, mo- and you know, idle hands are the devil's playground, but I think that people would then encounter their own devils, uh, as I do. If I have a too, too much, you know, so much idle time where I go, uh oh, you know, I got some, some stuff I don't want to be doing. Maybe I'm staying up too late. Maybe I'm, maybe my pattern's a little bit too off. Um, and that's fine. That's not a bad thing, I don't think. One of the things that I noticed, especially like last year when, when everything was kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, one, people were doing like a lot of self-evaluation of, of not only themselves, but, but their space, Hmm. their, their own personal space, whether it be, you know, their home or, you know, like doing stuff at their, their parents' house. And then it, it was all about what am I looking at? How am I being, what, what are my, my comforts? What is, what is really important to me? Hmm. Um, people were actually having, there were no sports on 24 seven. So people were actually having conversations with their families. Hmm. Um, and then the other aspect was with like what, the civil rest that was going on. Mm-hmm. George Floyd. There was nothing else to distract you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that you can be like, oh, well, 
there are a million other things going on that I can pay attention to. It was like, no, now, now that you have this time and there's nothing else distracting you, now you can focus on this and you can actually have empathy. And instead of just having an on off switch, anytime that, that something makes you feel uncomfortable or something that you don't want to think about. Yep. So I do, I, I do believe that there would be a majority of people that, that would take great advantage of that extra time. But I don't know what that percentage would be. I know that there'd be a, 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 a nice pocket of people that we would almost lose them with all that extra time. I don't I don't think that see, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, I don't think we would lose them, I guess, in the same way. I guess we would be saying different things in terms of of loss, because um, I would imagine it. Let's say, you know, let's say you got 100 hypothetical common Americans and you give them yeah. all all of their time. You say, you know what? You don't have to sell any of your time to any business anymore. We're going to and your whatever standard of living you have now, same standard of living. You're going to have it. So, you know, if you're living at the the net worth of a million in income of 250K or if you're living at the net worth of $30 income of 50K a year, but you're comfortable with that. Right. And everything in between, whatever you have now, you're going to have that. Uh, but you have all your time. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. You have all of your time. Um, it only takes one person to do to encounter some problem and then out of necessity solve that problem and then all 100 are better off in 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 magnitude uh it only takes one and so i don't so even if they spend see i'm i'm actually these days i'm leaning towards the idea that enjoyment is the path towards meaning and fulfillment and spiritual enlightenment enjoyment is the path uh now i'm not talking about a shallow hedonist enjoyment uh, i'm not talking about just shoving your face with uh, salty treats until you can't stand up right uh, i'm talking about doing something where you get up in the morning and you go oh yeah i'm about to do this and it sends electricity through your spine and then you do that thing and then maybe you fail at it maybe you you encounter some pain doing it and then after you encounter that pain and you fail you get back and you do it again <laughs> You go, I failed this time. I failed this way, this way, this time, this way. But now I'm going to fail a little bit differently the next time. Uh, whatever that thing is, that's the thing you should be doing. That's the thing we need you to be doing, um, whatever it is. And so for, for a lot of people, maybe that's maybe that's barbecuing and watching sports uh, interminably. Uh, maybe they'll they'll say, you know, maybe your fear is this. Maybe your fear is this. Let Let's admit that. There is a powerful instinct in the human race to reach towards the middle. That is to say, how in the middle can I be? Because there are safety numbers. Most of the zebras are alive because most of the zebras are in the middle and they look just like everybody else. That's why how the zebras are able to live. And so we have that instinct, too. And so let's say if you give everybody this free time and then they just gravitate towards the middle, middle, middle. And they don't go to any extremes. They don't do anything adventurous. They don't push any boundaries. I don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with 90% of the people saying, how can I be as bland as possible and stay in the middle as possible? I don't have a problem with that because if 10% are free, absolutely free to say, 
this is actually the wrong paradigm or this needs to be changed this way or this is some stupid rule that needs to be forgotten because the path forward is straight through this this 10 miles of red tape. Then that 10 percent, I sincerely believe, will carry the rest of us forward and we'll have uh, progress at a pace that we can we that we can celebrate. The talented 10th. Okay. The talented 10th. What is this? <laughs> the talented 10th was a uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, that was his theory hmm. uh, when when talking about uh, the black population, about how there will there will always be 10 percent of the population that would carry the people forward, that would that would move the needle forward. Now, I'm applying that. I probably just heard that idea, but didn't know to credit it to W.E.B. Du Bois. I apply it to the entire species, right? Not just. Uh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. Mm. I, that, that just that, It just reminded me of that. Mm. Mm. When you said that. Yeah. 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 That's how I, that's how I sincerely believe. We could actually credit. Uh, have you ever heard of Guns, Germs and Steel by Jarrett Diamond? Yes. So in Guns, Germs and Steel, Jarrett Diamond points out that it was the X hunter-gatherers turned uh, agriculturalist that were just sitting around not doing anything, playing with fire that discovered metal in the first place. Right? They were just sitting around, not doing anything. All their job was to make the fire so that they can cook the food, uh, cook the meat. And then they said, look, if you put these particular rocks in this particular fire for this particular amount of time, you get this shiny rock from it. <laughs> and here we have the rest of society, thanks to those shiny rocks. Uh, so mm -hmm. free people is a good thing. Free people is a good thing. Now, the converse side, the the to you to go back to the analogy of putting it all on red, uh, the converse side, the black version of that is what China is doing. So we believe in America that individual freedom is a good in itself. If you just give an individual maximum freedom, of course, their freedom ends at the tip of someone else's nose. I'm not free to steal your things. You're not free to steal mine. But outside of that, we're, we're as free. We want to be as free as we can be. That's one way of thinking. The Chinese believe the opposite. They say that individual freedom in its maximum uh, manifestation is a threat to the individual and society. They think that they think that free individuals are greedy, gluttonous, selfish warmongers. And then they point at America and go, see, this is what we're talking about. So, you know, it's not like it's un it's not like it's an unreasonable claim because uh, a lot of people given maximum freedom are greedy and gluttonous and selfish and, and, and pursue their own ends to the detriment of society. So that's their philosophy is that what we need is not individual freedom but a powerful central authority that checks individual freedom, then we can move as one one unit. We can make decisions and with a narrow leadership and then move the common such that we all reach prosperity because our leaders are so sharp. Uh, now, they're the, the con of their risk uh, that we understand as Americans inherently is you have the bad emperor problem, whereas I believe Xi Jinping to be actually a very good emperor. Um, I'm... I'm pro Xi Jinping to the extent that I believe that he as a person really genuinely wants the best for the common Han, specifically Han Chinese. Um, 
So I think he he really does want to lead them to prosperity. Of course, what he's doing with the Uyghurs and what they do with censorship, all that is highly objectionable, as it should be to every American, um, every person, really. Uh, so I'm not I'm not saying he's a perfect person, but I believe I don't think he, what I'm saying is that I don't think he's suffering from the bad emperor problem. Bad emperor might be North Korea. Uh, you know, I don't see Kim Jong-un <laughs> as some sort of paragon of wisdom. I think he's just a guy that likes to sit around, drink whiskey, eat ice cream, import American <laughs> culture, and pretend like he's not doing it. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I, I do believe in freedoms, but I also believe that, that there should be checks and balances in the world mm. um, now do I believe so strongly that yeah our government should be censoring and everything that there are some some things like those cultures do that I that I I enjoy uh, as far as like workers taking a breaks and, and doing yoga and meditating mm. and uh, then there are things that that are kind of frightening that I've seen um, where they take young children to these facilities to reprogram them. That's right. Um, when they feel that, that, that their mentality has been tainted. So that, that kind of thought process is extremely scary when you have that type of control, because that, that's almost like uh, the the neo-Nazi aspect of like, here's what a perfect human should be and and how they should think and how they should look. And mm-hmm. no, we should, mm-hmm. we, we should celebrate all these differences. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I do believe that yeah, freedom should go so far. Um, yeah, you shouldn't be free to just Hey, somebody stepped on my property. I'm 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 going to kill them just because they stepped on your property. I don't really. You don't think that 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 specific freedom, or do you? No. If, if somebody gets out of their car and and steps on my grass, I don't think I should be able to. Hey, I'm I'm gonna shoot you just because you stepped in my grass. No. Yeah. If if you're a threat to me or you're a threat to my household, then yes, I should be able to defend my household. Mm-hmm. But just but just somebody walking across your property, I don't think. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to draw a line. It's, it's, it's well, it's state by state. Do you think uh, do you know if yeah. if Illinois is stand your ground? I know California isn't. So I know in California you aren't just you can't just shoot anybody that's on your property in California. Uh, you have to have you have to have something like a reasonable belief that they are an active threat or something like that. And then you yeah, I would think. I would think that you would have to be feel threatened, mm. not just because somebody is, is is standing on you on the sidewalk in front of your house. Mm. Yep, yep. No, now, those are the card. Now we're. I think we're coming up against something like the sharp edge of freedom uh, when dealing with the the trans issue in our current culture. Uh, and what mm-hmm. I what I see as problematic about what the the woke left is doing around they're doing it around trans and race and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, but the problem that I see is that you have this 
very vocal minority trying to change uh, the course and the definitions of man and woman and change the um, yeah I guess I guess I, I guess I could call it adding to the narrative but they would they're hoping to redefine uh, all of the narrative or specifically with the definitions of man and woman I'll stick there for the moment so they're trying to say oh a man can become a woman and a woman can become a man uh, and now at the moment I am wholeheartedly objective uh, uh, wholeheartedly objecting to this idea uh, I think mm-hmm. there I think that must come from a confusion right if you say that a man can become a woman then you've confused one or both of those terms that's like saying that an apple has become an orange it's not a thing to, that can happen biologically it's not a thing that can happen uh, you've confused your terms somewhere uh, that's how I'm looking well, at it well here's what what can happen and I remember um, my kids when they were in high school and somebody showed me I forgot one of the kids showed me this book and we were talking about um, which happens more often than not hmm. Uh, not more often not, but but it happens a higher percentage of the time than than people think it does. Where a child is born, their sexual organs are like either they have both or it's not totally formed. And the parents right away have to make a decision. Like, hey, is this going to be a boy or a girl? That that is a fact. Now, later in life, are we talking about the same babies later in life that have these different feelings? I have no idea because I, you know, that's for me to be in somebody else's shoes to try to say, "Hey, this is how I would feel," or "This is how you should feel." I have no idea. Yeah, no, I, I'm def- I'm definitely not couching it in those terms. And so what I, what I looked up was that yeah. 1.7 percent of the population are born hermaphroditic. Uh, so that's yeah. So when when I'm saying what I'm saying is that if 1.7 percent of the population are born hermaphroditic, you you know I feel your pain, but then you don't get to say, okay, now 98 percent of the population has to call me a man. Uh, when I have a vagina and I take my breast down real low or 98% of the population has to call me a woman because I've taken the therapy and I've cut my penis off. Um, that's what I'm yeah. not. I'm not sold on that ship. That 2% with a troubled orientation uh, one way or another can tell the 98%, okay, this is how you are now. Um, that's it doesn't, it doesn't go down like that. We have to, we have to discuss these things. We have to, uh, have some sort of a democracy, right? I would think that more than 51% of Americans are partial to the argument, which is what I'm airing these days, that man and woman, the words man and woman, should be tied one-to-one with those biological binary that were handed from biology, right? Biology handed 49% of us an XY chromosomal makeup with a penis, handed 49% of us an XX chromosomal makeup with a womb and ovaries and a uh, vagina and the capability of bearing a child. Those are two categories that biology has handed us. There's no 
holier. (laughs) It's not, oh, hey, I want these to be the way. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I want this to be the way. I'm saying male, female are a couple of categories that God handed us. Just, you know, it's biological. It's biological. And so what I'm saying is that the words man and woman should be tied to those biological categories. Now, when we're talking about transitioning, when we're talking about hermaphrodites, when we're talking about intersex or cross-dress or and masculinity and femininity, I'm all for that. I'm all for it, right? If you're, if you're, if dude looks like a lady, more power to her. I guess that's so that transition me to the pronouns. For the pronouns, mm-hmm. I'm all for whatever pronoun you want. Whatever pronoun you want, uh, you know, like I said, dude looks like a lady, whatever you want, whatever makes you feel comfortable, whatever makes you feel happy, happiest. I'm comfortable saying that this person who prefers the pronouns, he, him, he is a woman. Oh, no, he is a woman. He is a trans man. He was a woman, something like this. To, to me, that's the line where that I want to, I'm not, I don't want to say that he is a man without testicles, mm-hmm. without uh, the capability of producing semen or passing on a Y chromosome. To me, that's confusion saying he is a man now. No, no, no. He is a trans man. He has full human rights. He's a full person. He was a woman. Uh, that's the way I'm, I'm parsing it these days. Yeah, it's all, um, I guess because I'm, I'm at an age where The world has changed so much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and the way we perceive things, the way things are categorized. Um, and because I never, it's never been like that closely personal to me where, where somebody wanted to change their sex. Mm-hmm. I do remember someone in my office. This was maybe, I might have been in my 20s. Um, and one day they were a woman and then a couple of months later they went by a different name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but this wasn't somebody that I worked with closely. It was just somebody that, that I saw in the office. And then you fast forward from my twenties into my forties so 20 years later, we were at the Steppenwolf. Went to go see a play. Okay. Um, intermission comes. My wife and I, you know, hey, let's get some snacks. Let's get a glass of wine. Uh, well, first, let's, let's go to the bathroom. Seems to be a long line to get in the bathroom. I was like, oh, I must be in the wrong line. But then I noticed there's only one line to the bathroom. Mm. This is my very first experience, my very first and only experience in the new world where like, no matter what you were labeled at biologically, Mm. everybody was going into the same room. Mm. Um, And at the very beginning, it was like, It felt very odd, Mm. right? And Elena and I went in. We went in at the same time. She went into a stall. I went into a stall. You know, 
pee here, pee there, came out, washed her hands, came out, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that that was different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if it, yes, it felt different. And I have no idea if, like, hey, in the next 20 years, is every place I'm going to go to going to be like this? I have no idea. I don't know. But it seems like that is, like, the the trajectory that the country is going toward, right? Could be. Could be. What I've been arguing yeah. for in terms of the restroom uh, divergence or bifurcation uh, and it's actually the same argument that I make for sports bifurcation uh, and categorization is that we should have a open category. So that is to say you should have an open restroom or an open, let's say, 100 meter dash uh, or an open weightlifting competition or an open fighting competition in which anyone can use that. So woman, man, prefer not to, you know, non-binary intersex, whatever, whatever your deal is, hey, you're a human being, you're a valuable human being, and you, you're a dignified person and a welcome member of our community in these open environments. Then we have a woman's restroom and a woman's 100 meter dash and a woman's weightlifting. That way, those humans that are born XX with ovaries and wombs, a uh, very important, very important component of our species. I think, uh, you know, we all got our name from a woman and our game from a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have this category that protects those people so that they can be athletic champions so that they can, you know, use the restroom without worrying about there being some, some muscular person in the room that can kill them with their bare hands, right? They can, so that they have a place there where they can go, where that they know that there are no men around. Um, I believe in that, right? I believe in ha- in, a sp- in saving a space where women can get away from men because there's an asymmetrical physical threat between the genders. Most men can kill most women with their bare hands. Most women cannot kill most men with their bare hands. That's that's those are the facts that biology has handed us. And so I'm for an open setting in which anybody can go, uh, and then I'm for a women's setting that is protected from. You know, a place to go where where men aren't allowed. Okay. Yeah. For 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 comfort level and safety and for safety concerns. It's you know, and I had I was telling this to a friend the other day. He said, "Tell me a story where some trans person has gone into a restroom and choked out some woman." Uh, I can't tell you that story, right? I don't I don't have that anecdote on hand. But what I what I can say is that. I don't want to walk down the road in society where I'm going to pretend that there's not an asymmetrical mortal threat in, in combat between men and women. I'm not going to walk down that road. It, it exists. You know, uh, there was a line in a movie in the show True Detective where one of the female agents, I think she was the lead female agent, she carries a knife and her partner asked her, uh, why do you carry that knife? And she said, if half the species could kill you with their bare hands, you'd carry a knife, too. Uh, and that's that's just bio that's just bio and so i'm not for walking down a road in which we ignore that um and i think having the open category actually solves a lot of the problems that we want to go to because it's really the it's really the men's competitions that are i can't say that did you see alana mclaughlin beat that woman uh in the mma fight last week 
No, I, I, I don't watch too much uh, MMA. So I do I do watch MMA, but I didn't happen to watch yeah. this fight. Uh, I heard about yeah. it after the fact. So Alana McLaughlin is a trans woman who was a man for the first 33 years of her life. Uh, and for the past five years has been, has transitioned and now identifies, uh, as a trans woman. And she just beat this woman up in the ring. Um, I think in her professional MMA debut. And I think that's an atrocity. Uh, I don't think so. She, so she gets to, yes. Fight. Wow. Yeah. 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 Just happened in, in some, it's not you. I don't think it's UFC. It might have been UFC. I don't think it was UFC, uh, but it harkens back to I think it was in 2017. I want to say uh, don't quote me on the year, but it was about that time. But I'm but two Connecticut trans girls. So these these are our girls that were boys until they were 14, 15, and then they transition into girls and then they won first and second in the state track championships. I wonder why, wonder why they got first and second, right? To, to me, it's unreasonable to let those young trans women, you know, like, Hey, peace be upon them. I wish them long and healthy lives and uh, have all the rights of every American citizen. I'm not saying that they should have fewer rights. What I'm saying is the third place girl had her rights violated in that situation. That's what I'm saying. The third and fourth and fifth place girls that should have won gold, silver and bronze. They were the ones that were cheated because this competition couldn't see that. Look, if you're born with testicles and a Y chromosome and you develop the skeletal muscle system of a male, you're going to have a physical advantage over 80% of the women that are going to walk the earth. That's just a fact. And so pushing against that fact is unreasonable to me. Uh, and I think that's the, I think that's a sharp edge of individual freedom <laughs> that we're experiencing. So I, I, I do agree when it, when it comes to physical competition that mm -hmm. you know, of course that there's such a uh, there's a difference between um, the bodies, right? Mm. But I I do have some pushback mm -hmm. Mm. on when we were talking about the the bathroom situation and and somebody choking somebody or killing somebody with their bare hands. I, I think if somebody is inherently that wants to cause physical harm to a woman mm. it really doesn't matter what room they're in yeah, and they're going to do it at the, night and they're going to do it in a taxi cab yeah they're going to do yeah. it wherever they can they can find a victim yeah um because that's that's just built within them um yeah i, I don't know if if hey we're gonna make these separate bathrooms i don't know if that that automatically makes everyone safe. But are you, would well, you not have a women's restroom that's just for well, women? I, no, no men allowed? No, I don't. I, you know what? I, as a father, I'm one that enjoys the, uh, the, the family bathroom because I got have three, have three girls. Well, that, I mean, I but that's in personal space. We're talking about in the public spaces. It's got eight stalls that, you know, yeah, Airports no, what I'm saying, like that. yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's, I'm just saying, yes, I, I do believe in, in, I bring up the family bathroom because I used to hate the fact where I used to have to send my little girls into a bathroom and wait at the entrance 
and hope that they can go in and come out safely, right? Mm, mm. Um, but, but we're talking about kids. Mm, mm. But yeah, so if 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 there are many options for everybody's comfort level, yeah, they're in the perfect world, yeah. I would love that. If there's a woman's and a family and uh, what you would call an open and... Yeah, That's open, fine open women's and single occupant. I think single occupant is a terrific solution. Uh, I'm all for single occupant. There are a lot of situations in which single occupant isn't feasible. All right. And so in those situations, what do you do? What do you what do you do when, you know, if single single occupant is actually probably gold standard, right? If you can do single occupant, do single occupant. No problem. That eliminates a lot of the problems. But if you can't, it's, do single, uh, it, then it's a lot of restaurants up here that are doing that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Cali, too. Yeah. Uh, all over the place. Yeah. I think there was a. Yeah. I don't want to say there was a federal thing, but that that really took steam maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, which rightfully so. People just said, you know what? Single occupant. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It, it solves a lot of the problems. But in the situations solved, in which you can't do single occupant, everything. what do you do? Yeah. That's what it I'm It solved arguing. everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you are. You can have five penises. Go, yeah, go, go use the bathroom in there. Yep. Yeah. So tell me, I would be remiss if I didn't just just pluck your brain. Uh, so when it comes to visual art, when it comes to oil on canvas and color and, and composition and content, what are the what are the themes? What are the ideas? What are the motivators that you bring uh, that you try to express and that you carry with you? Most of my paintings are, are pretty personal, to mm. be honest with you, um, I think because I'm. I'm a storyteller by heart, and uh, being an artist, I, I pay a, a lot of attention. So even if, if I'm doing something and it's not directly representational of someone, it 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 may be a, it may be a combination of five different memories mm. in one. So yeah, I do a lot of figurative work. Um, but I'm always in connection with my past. I'm always in connection with like all these faces and, and souls that I've come in contact with. Hmm. So for you, it's very much a, a celebration of a human more, a lot of the times it's, it's you you, you're celebrating this this human and you're celebrating the spirit and the, the way that the the way that the spirit moved through them onto you and still does and then you transition that or or you you put that into into to, into visual space a lot of times yes mm -hmm. but some sometimes it's uh an example of that would be um i have a painting that I'm, I'm wrapping up now that be, I'm showing this weekend. It's called uh, Black Abundance, and it's just, it's just a just a face of a boy. Um, but it's not any particular boy. Mm. It's it, what I was thinking about when I created it was like all these young black boys when I was young, like we had no idea, we had no clue of like what our lives would be, you know, 20 or 30 years later. Mm. But at, at that time we were all in the same bowl and 
everybody took different paths. And, you know, from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And that, that's always intrigued me about how you can have five little kids just just playing on a block. And then and they're all connected. But when it came to their future, they went in five different directions. Mm. Not 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 everybody got the golden apple. What and do you, it would what do you make of that? Some of it it's 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 life, man. Life is 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 not it's a combination of internal and, and external struggle and how you deal with that. Some people succumb to, to external struggle. Some people overcome it. Same thing internally. Um, some people get beaten up so much internally and don't have the strength or don't know that they have the strength to overcome that. That it it it's, it sends them on a, a a path that they don't want to go down, or or it doesn't allow them to rise to their full potential. I would say. To me, that uh, that resonates with one of the core tenets of of my philosophy as I practice it is the phenomenon of choice. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I lean heavily on the phenomenon of choice, and what I try to what I tried to articulate several years ago now is that choice happens on the scale of the sub-second. Uh, every time you bend your index finger instead of your thumb, you've made a choice that you have to take responsibility for. Um, and so you make thousands of choices every day. And after the age of 25, you have to take responsibility for all of them. Um, now, I do have done gone through pains to illustrate that we're, where we're born is 100% luck. It's luck who your parents are or who they aren't, how much money they have or how much money they don't, and what year it is, whether it be uh, year 1650 Morocco or South, or you know Southern California 1980s, right? Wherever you happen to appear in, in the history of the human species, that is blind luck. Uh, but between z- age zero, the day of birth, and the age of 25, which is arbitrary. Well, it's not totally arbitrary. So the uh, the prefrontal cortex becomes fully myelinated at about 25 for most adult humans. Uh, so that's why I'm choosing 25. And so about that time, that's about the time your your personality settles and you are who you're going to be, uh, more or less. And so, or at least the cards, uh, the, the analogy that I'll use is that the cards have been dealt to you when you're 25. Now it's about playing your hand. Right. But between zero and 25, eh, there's still kind of cards being dealt to you. You're, you're still gaining your hand. Right. Um, I would say the, yeah. the, 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 the core of you is in place. Yeah. And you're going to you're going to change. You're going to grow. Um, yeah. But I yeah. but I yeah. at 25, I don't that's where I apply full responsibility. Um, yeah. And just in thinking about I can tell you the story right now. So I was in a meeting today uh, with a guy named Amit. Uh, from my company, and it made me think of an old friend I had in middle school named Amit. 
and I said, I wonder what Amit has been up to. And so I looked up Amit uh, Mahesh and I can use his first and last name because I found this on in the San Gabriel Tribune uh, earlier today. So it's not <laughs> it's public information. Um, so I look up and me and Amit Mahesh were buddies. We were good buddies. Uh, I was with him one time. He stole when he stole his mom's car. He was bad. I was bad. We were bad together. Um, and so. Yeah, I just look him up and just say, whatever happened to Amit? You know, am I going to find him on Facebook? Am I going to see him on Instagram and Tahiti taking pictures with his girlfriend? He got arrested in 2017 for choking some woman mostly to death. Uh, and then the cops had to shoot his front door down with tear gas. And, and he came out and Jeez. gave himself up. But that was four years ago. Um, Jeez. Yeah, Amit, Amit was a troublemaker went, went with me. He was a troublemaker. Um, there was another guy, Randy. Uh, and, and I won't say his name, his last name because he's passed now, but Randy was also a good friend of mine. And I looked him up one day on the internet and he had been shot dead in some gang apartment building. Um, mm. and I suspected, I, and I still suspect, and, and hopefully, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the case, but knowing Randy, I said, you know what? I bet he was boning some gang member's girlfriend and got caught coming out of the apartment because that was how Randy got down. Um, mm. And these were my friends, you know, and here I am, software developer, living with my, my wonderful wife and, and, you know, running a podcast and having, having a nice life of it. Um, but we were all, we all came from the same, same stoop. <laughs> yeah, same place, man. Yeah. And, 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 and made different choices and went different directions. Yeah. yeah. And influences matter so much because when I think back to why I made one choice and not another, uh, for me, it was, the way my grandfather carried himself so much like Dr. King. It was the way that my my uncles carried themselves with the utmost professionalism and made sure that I understood that being a man meant stopping violence, not perpetrating it. That's not what being a man is. Being a man is protecting life, not threatening it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I came up. I, I do remember uh, in my teen years, I had a good friend that lived, lived across the street from me. Hmm. And I remember him saying one day, it just it was like almost, almost out the, the blue, because I think he was always at, at my house. And it was kind of matter of factly. And I think. Because of the way I was raised, I just, you know, I just, I didn't really look at people not having a father or not having a father in the home as something completely, you know, terminal in their life. Mm. But yeah, when I, I remember he made a statement like, man, I wish your father was my father. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there's something to be said about influences or having some type of force in your life or, or, or around you that, that gives you bits and nuggets of not just information, but, but examples. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because and I would say, I would say the same thing to, um, when you see 
more examples in your life, you know that there are more options. Hmm. And so, and I would I would liken it to uh, a film. So, it, like everybody sees, they they know like, hey, there's an actor, and I, I know somebody directed this movie. But there are hundreds of jobs that go into making a film. It's you don't know the options unless they're in front of you in life. Mm. So you're saying yeah, you're saying when uh, when when young a lot of young people are pondering the ways of being when they're when they're going might I when they're thinking of the, of what the things that they might be what they might become what what they aspire to become they think actor producer uh, director um, what else kind of maybe maybe executive producer right uh, or, or the long list of actors because that's who they see in the film not thinking yeah. of the key grip the lead editor the uh, camera people and the lead camera the person st- the people who the run the designer. studio the set designer the makeup artist the hair artist the wardrobe yeah they don't matter you don't yeah. see those people yeah. there's the so many more options life. yeah but you, you, when you're hanging out on your block and you don't have all these different examples in front of you, all these different occupations, all these different people in different walks of life doing different things. If you don't, if you don't see it and it's mm-hmm. not in front of you, it, it looks rather bleak. I tell you, I'm so grateful. I've got a buddy who is a, um, what is his position? I guess his position is, is an investor relations. Uh, and so what he does, he works with companies and makes sure that the, uh, investors for a given company or, or he kind of, he kind of sells the company to investors and also makes sure that investors understand what's going on. So he's kind of a PR person, but for the investors, not for the public. So he's an investor relations, uh, person and, meeting just just him introducing me to a trading strategy in early 2020 has now made me uh, more financially literate and more financially stable than i've ever been uh and i mm-hmm. would not have known I, w- I would not have walked in this space had he had he not been a close friend of mine um and that's just fortune right i, I would that's a card i mean you could argue you could go back and say okay well my befriending him and the series of conversations we had and the choices that I made and befriending him and, and why we got along so well. And the, the times that I reached out to him and the times that, you know, he reached out to me or so on and so forth. I made a series of choices that, that kept him in my life and he made choices to keep me in his, uh, you know, and it's paying, it's paying dividends for me. Hopefully he's doing something for him too, <laughs> but it's pay, certainly paid dividends for me. Uh, and I'm just so grateful, but that's not a thing that I would have seen or I should, I'll say it even more clearly than that. That's not a thing that I ever saw coming up in the hood. I, investor relations? What are you making stuff up? You might as well be talking about unicorns, <laughs> right? What is exactly. that? <laughs> and, I, and I would hope that, that, that you're having some kind of positive influence on his life as well. I hope. I hope. <laughs> I think so. He told me, he asked me to write an essay. He was trying to make an argument. He was trying to make a point. Uh, with his wife one time, he said, "Will you help me kind of make this point? Uh, you you put you put words together in, in decent enough ways." And so I wrote a short essay to try to help him out make the point. He said, "I he said I really like your prose, so I appreciate it." And so hopefully, I'm helping him out too. Good, 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 good. What do you think of of 
so what do you think of reparations? Do you think there's a reasonable path? Do you think it's something that might actually happen? Do you think it's something that's never going to happen? Uh, what do you think about that? So, it's a very complicated question uh, because it's you're dealing with a country that has never fully uh, on the, like surface level it's almost like uh <laughs> when someone has really wronged you mm. but they never they never like they give you a half-assed apology mm. instead of being sincerely uh, sincerely sorry and um trying to make up for that and and to to make sure that that relationship is 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 rebonded right mm. it's, it's more of it's it's been more of a an appeasement like so i i guess the the long and short of the answer is if reparations, if true reparations, were were coming, it it would have happened by now. Hmm. And so, so now so you, you don't think now they're gonna you, come? You, you, no, no, not 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 in that sense. No. Hmm. Hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Although <laughs> there have been here in the uh, in the the city of Evanston, uh, which is a northern suburb of Chicago, there is a form of reparations. Um, but they, they've done it in... They've done it with tax dollars and real estate to try to make sure that African Americans received everything not every you can never repay everything all the damage that was done um but to receive something that they were kept from from not obtaining for all those years mm -hmm. um i'm going to find some articles and I'll, I'll send it to you i'm actually so i've been arguing for 3.8 trillion to the 38 million black Americans, uh, descendants of slaves that have identified on the census. And so that's not including recent black immigrants. Uh, you know, as much as I love people whose parents came from Nigeria in the sixties and, uh, you know, to give them a better life, uh, you know, more power to them. Hey, you're my brother. I love you. But what we're dealing with as descendants of slaves is a deep, internal scar that we're finding it very hard to shake loose we're finding it very hard to stand above uh, and that's what reparations to me are met are should be aimed at uh, is are the american descendants of slaves uh, i'm partial to the hashtag ados uh, even even the hashtag bdos because uh, a point that i tried to make to to a cousin was that you know when you say american descendant of slaves there are statistically there have to be some white people who check the box white and are descendants of slaves um but they didn't get caught on the other side of the red line uh just because 
they ha- were light enough and were for however many generations were able to check the white box. Um, I said, so to do reparations go to them too, right? And he never answered the question. But for me, that makes the hashtag BDOS, the black descendants of slaves. Um, the, pe- the people who got caught on the other side of redlining, right? The people who were caught on the other side of Brown versus the board and the people who were strange fruit, right? That's who, that's who the reparations should be targeted at. I did not even think, think of that aspect before. Um, wow. Yeah. So I'm calling, I call for 3.8 trillion over 10 years. Um, so that's, yeah, three point eight trillion over ten years is three hundred eighty billion a year uh, to, like I said, thirty eight million Black Americans. So that I think that comes down to about ten thousand uh, dollars per Black American for ten years, about so a hundred thousand dollars each. Uh, which you know, it's been argued, it's been argued to me from both directions. So that makes me feel like it's in the right spot because <laughs> I've had people say, I've had people say that's not nearly enough, and then I've had people say that's so unrealistic. In, in terms of large, that's way too much. So I go, okay. If I got people telling me it's way too little, and people telling me it's way too much, uh, for me that's evidence that it's kind of in a good spot. Well, you have to think about for, from from an economy standpoint. Yeah. Well, from an economy standpoint, America's economy was was it was built off of that. Yes, that's a, that's that's the genesis of it. So so America's richness would not even exist if it wasn't for free labor. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and those people those people might uh, say you know well it's not enough, and so in in response to that, I say but it's a number that might actually go out right, and so it's it's. And, you know, I definitely want to want to point out that it's it doesn't fully right the wrong of black chattel slavery in the United States. It doesn't fully you know, that that's a that's a wrong that's not going to be fully right. Uh, so what I'm calling for is a payment specifically money payment uh, explicitly tied to that practice. And I would also like to see reparations tied to actually ending slavery. So the 13th Amendment has a hole the size of a bus in it, uh, and it makes incarcerated people technically slaves under the exact same system, which is why we're allowed to pay uh, inmates $2 an hour to fight a fire to risk their life because they're technically slaves. So if they weren't technically mm-hmm. slaves, we wouldn't be able to pay them that wage to do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm for ending the hole in the 13th Amendment paying reparations to the tune of 3.8 trillion over 10 years to 38 million black Americans. Uh, and then, and John McWhorter has pointed this out and I appreciate him saying, and then saying it's done, right? You can't hearken back to say, oh, it's slavery, it's slavery, it's slavery. Not socially, maybe personally, maybe it's psychologically, which I think is actually our biggest problem. Um, you know, the racism still exists. I'm not saying racism doesn't exist, but I don't think that's, I don't think explicit First degree racism is the number one barrier for Black Americans no, today. No, no, no. I wish you could see me right now shaking my head. And, and, <laughs> you and, think it's and, the and, number and one, it, number one barrier? No, 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 no. I'm shaking my head. Yes, what, what I call what I call um, slave residue. Mm. Slave slave residue. Mentally, what you did to a people that has lasted for it century mm. is far more damaging 
than saying I can't sit here, call me a nigga. I don't mentally, hmm. psychologically, as a people, blacks in America are extremely damaged, bro. Mm-hmm. Extremely damaged. And and it's it's a it's a thing that has been at the critical level for forever. Um, because of the, the, the mental tear down, mm-hmm. we don't even like look at ourselves the way that we should look at each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, that type of thing, I would take, <laughs> if there was a button that can fix that, I would take that over $100,000. That's right. That's right. But, and, you know, and I think to your point, that button doesn't exist. <laughs> it's not going to exist. <laughs> yes. right? there's, there's, there's no button for it. It reminds me of three stories that I can tell. One is of a... Uh, Nigerian, I guess, I guess, yeah, one is of a, of a, I think it was Nigerian guy that I met. Uh, now, when I met him, he was in his mid to late 40s. Uh, he was wearing a very dapper suit in Beverly Hills. Uh, and I'm driving ride share. He gets in the back of my car and he says, hey, man, do you mind if I eat in here? I said, no, you're fine. He says, okay, fine. So he's eating a salad, drinking a sparkling water, whatever. And I'm driving him. I said, what do you do? He says, oh, I manage a couple of uh, boutique hotels here in Beverly Hills. Very, very nice. I said, oh, that's wonderful, man. Uh, I said, how'd you get into that? He said, well, when I was 22, I came to this country with $100 to my name. uh, And I got a random job on, you know, from just word of mouth doing a door, a door boy, right? A bellboy at a hotel, Mm -hmm. just a random job. And he worked his way up the ladder over 20 years. Now he's the, he's a manager for two boutique hotels. Uh, from 22 to, to late 40s, like I said, dark and mm-hmm. dark skinned, right? Dark skinned as you want to as you want to meet somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. Can he carry himself? Well, the second would be of a salesman that I met who was working as a waiter at a restaurant a long time ago. But I met him when he was a regional salesman. And he said, yeah, I was <clears throat> I was a waiter at this restaurant and we had this particular regular uh, and I struck up a nice uh, rapport with him. And one day he said, you know what? Come, come try to sell for me. If you think you can sell it all, come try to do it. And when I met him, like I said, he was a regional sales manager for this company. Uh, so that's the second story. And the third is of this black kid that I picked up from my hood, from Compton. And I'm driving him out mm-hmm. to this French hotel in LA. All this is doing right here too. And I'm driving him out to this French hotel or French restaurant in LA. And I said, man, that place must be nice. I'd never heard of it. He said, I couldn't afford to eat there. <laughs> so we both laughed. I said, so thinking back now, this is after I had met that other restaurant worker who built a relationship and then transitioned into something more fruitful. I said, so man, you must be rubbing elbows with all sorts of people that you can meet in this hotel. He said, nah, nah, not for me. So <laughs> there it is to me. I, I, to me, that was just so exemplary of the way that we hold ourselves back from competition when the doors are open. Uh, you know, isn't, yeah. isn't there that metaphor for a bird with its cage door open? That has its full, yeah. it's, it has fully capable wings and the cage doors open and the windows open and it just sits in its cage. It can fly. It has the ability, 
It chooses not to. Uh, and so I feel like that's, I feel like that is the biggest barrier to the 22% of black Americans that, that just find themselves in perpetual poverty. Now, I'm not discounting the, the cyclical effects of perpetual poverty. I think me and you know that those are real. Uh, but yeah. on the, on the edges, there's so many. And that's, that's why I say this is number one. There are so many cases of black people who just say, nah, I can't and just don't even try. When they could. And that's why you see in the statistics that recent black immigrants, uh, people, people, you know, dark skinned Africans who came to America after slavery don't do nearly as poorly as we do on average uh, in economic, socioeconomic outcomes, because they don't have the same mental barriers that we have. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. It's It's tough. You know, I, I found myself earlier today looking at a workout and I said, no, nah, I can't do that. And then I had to stop myself and go, you know what? There's you can <laughs> you can do that workout. You're choosing not to do that workout is what's going on. It's not that you can't physically. It's not that you can't. Is is your art all black? hundred percent. Do you ever not do black art or is that kind of just a theme that just resonates with you and, and never stops as it would would be totally reasonable no I, i've never categorized my work as 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 black art mm. although there's there's a lot of black subject matter in it uh, because it's just my experience and i'm a I, I, I come from that community but um yeah i, I do all kind of art man i, mm. I do it's yeah i wouldn't that's 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 almost saying uh your work only belongs in in this store that's fair so no, that's no. fair i wouldn't want to you know it, it, you know like childish gambino right childish gambino is not just doing hip-hop uh no i yeah. wouldn't even you can't even i don't even know if you can call it i think you have to call him a funk artist now uh if you want to try to categorize it, but, but breaking categories is the name of the game. Uh, how do you think about that? How do you think about categories in art uh, and the way that people bandy about categories? What do you, I don't know. I, I, I really have no clue. I'm just asking, asking someone who's in the space. Well, there are a, a few lanes when it, when it comes to, to the art world. Um, there are people that that go like the the academia route, hmm. um, and then there are, are people that are just working and, and grinding and, and and creating outside of outside of that space, right? Hmm. Um, but as far as categories are concerned, I mean, it's always been different movements. Um, when you know you, from expressionist to abstract expressionist to realism to you know, but it's 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 not really. It's sometimes it's not really about that. It's it's almost it's almost about branding mm. and relationships and um 
I mean, first of all, you, you, not all, but most great artists make great work. Um, and then some artists make really good work and are great at marketing themselves, mm. or they have a team that are great at marketing themselves. Then there are people that create horrible work, but are extraordinary at selling themselves. Have you heard of Cy work. Twombly? What's the name? Cy Twombly. Not familiar. C Y T W O M B L Y. Um, so the the let's say characterization uh, that I've heard of his work is as a grift in the <laughs> in the art world. Uh, that this guy is a grifter who doesn't really have artistic talent, but who has exactly what you said, been able to network and market and create a reputation and a brand uh, such, that his, such that his work sell, uh, but they really aren't meaningful in, in, in the way that most of us would think of meaningful art. And I've looked at his prints online and that characterization, characterization seems to fit to me, um, but I'm not inside the art world. I, I'm not going to buy any side Twombly's anytime soon. Yeah, there are, um, it's a lot of people like that now. I'm, I, I'm trying not to say somebody here in Chicago that I know that that's. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, You're in it. I can, I'll throw, I'll just throw my, I'll throw rocks. You don't throw, have to throw any rocks. It <laughs> <laughs> totally reminds me of that, man. It's like, it's, it's more talk than work. Hmm. And it's, it's, yeah, it, it. It, uh, it, some of it kind of pisses me off, mm. um, because I know how hard some some people work in their craft and and how they get better and better every year. But then the other part of me that doesn't get pissed off because of where I where I grew up and the people I was around is like I AI. I was taught not to not to knock other people's hustles. Yeah. So you know if that's the that's your hustle, that's your hustle. Do your thing. And art is art is subjective, right? Um, art it is it is, it is, is to, a, to 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 a degree, yes. Mm -hmm. But the, the yes, there is a but there is a there is there is a truth between good art and bad art. Mm. If you if you look at enough art. And is it in the purview, because I have the feeling that it's in the purview of every person, every reasonable um, waking person to say whether it's good or bad art. Now, there are then to, to be to also give light to expertise. It's kind of like a moral saying, right? Every person has a right to their moral compass. Uh, uh, in fact, Sometimes it's the common person who's not an expert whose moral compass you actually want uh, to draw from and not some morality expert. Uh, but in art, there are 
experts, right? So I'm going to have my opinion. There are going to be things that that resonate with me that don't resonate with me. And I'm allowed to have my taste, right? There's no accounting for taste. But I think you're saying that when it comes to actual, you know, kind of an objective measure, there are objectively objective measures that experts can apply uh, on art to say, well, this is actually good art and this is or at least can be good. And this is this art is bad. It can be bad or something like that. Is, is that what you're pointing at? I am pointing at. So what I, I tell young artists when I talk to them all the time, um, and you know, when, when you're younger and you, you try to compare yourself to people that you admire mm. and I and I would tell them. Like, hey, don't worry about that. Um, whatever you're creating, trust me, there's a market for it. Mm. You just have to find it. Um, but these are people that are working towards something and getting better towards something, you know, physically as they create it. And you, and you can see the progression from year to year in their work. Mm. What I call bad art would, would be almost the same thing as like a, uh, a used car salesman who knows that the, the quality of the art is never going to get better. Mm. It's just going to be what it, what it is. But they're just him or her are just really good at selling this and have a very good mouthpiece. Um, and they're selling something that would never appreciate. Mm. Mm. It would, yeah, it, it'll like, and not to say that's why, that's why people buy art because I, I tell people to buy, buy what you like, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, if, if you're buying into something, part of it is that piece of art and that physical thing that you have in your personal space that, that, um, that you have a daily conversation with, but there's a, there's a flip side to that as well. Um, you're also making an an investment in that person that created it. Hmm. Knowing that, Hey, I, I spent, a thousand dollars this year, but this thousand dollars is going to be twenty five thousand dollars in X amount of years later mm-hmm. because of the of what this artist is doing. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, the last, what was the last? The last piece that that struck me that I would have brought into my home. Um, was this, I guess you call it a sculpture, really. Uh, and it mm-hmm. was a probably six feet high by maybe four feet wide at the cross. And it was a, it was a cross, uh, you know, like a Christian cross, but it was exploded. It was as if the wood had exploded from the inside out. And then it was mostly dark, dark red with black, uh, and some brown. And so it just looked like it was, it looked like it was a, a blood and tar explosion that blew this cross apart, but you could still tell that it was, that it was a cross at some point and it was huge. Uh, and it looked like it was just dripping and wet. Uh, and I said, I would put that in my house. 
Wow. Who's yeah. it? You, you know who the, you know who the artist is? I don't. I don't. Where this was at a museum. I don't even know what the oh. type. Exploded, exploded blood cross. Let's see what Google says. No, that 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 actually sounds pretty awesome. I want to see. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah. I, and that's what I, I said. <laughs> I said I would put that in my house because, you know, coming up Christian. Uh, but then leaving Christianity, but still leaving the official Christianity, uh, but then still well within a Judeo-Christian culture uh, where those are the those are the morals I have, you know, for for better, or for worse. That's I think to thine own self be true and do unto others and don't bury your talents. And I think like that. Right. Because that's where I came up. Um, so that the so the cross. So, so when you when you say leaving official Mm-hmm. What, what what does that mean leaving official Christianity? So I was a I was born so my family is Christian just practicing Protestant, um, uh-huh. but then when I was a teenager I denied it I said nah that's that's not what I am I'm not part of that but then at 21 I was born again I was baptized I was a member of a non denominational church up in uh-huh. I don't know Laverne uh-huh. somewhere uh, and I was reading the Bible for myself and a member of a congregation I was born again at 21 just of my own accord of my own will but after learning about the the historical origins of the dates that Christianity usurped, and then learning uh, about that the Easter Bunny was a that the Easter Bunny was a Greek figure, and so these these they they called them pagan, right? But all these pagan figure uh, figures and customs were uh, co opted by Christianity, and just understand understanding that Christianity is was not even close. To the world's first version of what's true um, mm-hmm. is just kind of one of the more recent, more popular ones. Uh, I said, well, I guess I'm not a Christian Christian anymore. Um, so that's why I say leaving officially is that I'm not, you know, I'm not I don't I believe that Jesus pooped. Uh, I believe that Mary got pregnant the old fashioned way. Um, and actually, I'm writing a story in which one of the characters one one of the things she does by causing trouble is she depicts Jesus performing miracles, but she depicts them. She depicts him performing miracles from a selfish point of view. So it's talking about the Sermon on the Mount and him feeding people. And then when he's going around doing stuff, he's thinking to himself, that's right, you idiot. I'm the Messiah. <laughs> so he's having this horrible internal narrative where he's such an asshole and he's doing these things for arrogant reasons, but he's going around doing them and he's making people happy. Um, so that, that, but that all that makes me not officially a Christian, even though I still believe that the Bible contains deep wisdom about how human society could and should be its best. Uh, you know, do un, like I said, do unto others and then don't bury your talents. And uh, it's all, oh, there's one that I do a lot, which is if you sit at the head of the table, then you can only be bumped down. But if you sit at the foot of the table, then you can only be bumped up. So this is about entering at the humblest possible point into a position just choosing to enter there and then if nobody lifts you up hey nobody lifts you up but if you enter at the lowest you can be lifted up as a matter of fact if you're going to be moved at all it can only be up but if you enter at the highest then you can only be knocked down so if you go into a situation in which i'm the best i'm the best i'm the best well all the people are going to do is knock you down because that's all they can do and these are christian ideas uh that i carry uh but that's what i mean by left yeah I think that most, uh, I guess you'll call it official religions have, at their core, have a, 
a lot of those same true beliefs. True. Beliefs. It's, a, it's actually my belief, or I don't want to call it a belief, but a suspicion. My suspicion is that we have a moral kind of compass. And by we, I mean the human species. And I think it comes from our genetic code. I think so. Have you ever seen the the uh, monkeys next to each other? They get mad when you give one a grape and one a cucumber. I have not. So there's this experiment where there's this uh, there are two monkeys in cages and they're right next to each other and they can see each other. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the scientist gives the first monkey a cucumber, but the monkey has to give the scientist a rock. And so it takes a rock from inside of his cage, little pebble, gives the scientist a pebble, and the scientist gives the monkey a cucumber, takes a cucumber, it eats it perfectly happy. Then the monkey, 12 inches away, so in the next cage over, that monkey gives the scientist a rock. In exchange, that monkey gets a grape, takes the grape, eats it, it's perfectly happy. Then go back to the first monkey, monkey says, oh, it's my turn. So he grabs a rock, gives it, and then it gets back a cucumber. And so it it bites the cucumber and then it says, what the hell is this? It it drops it, right? Goes back to the second monkey, gives it rock, grape, goes back to the first monkey. This time the monkey takes the rock. He bangs it against the wall to make sure it's a real rock. He says, I'm giving you real rocks, right? And he gives him a real (laughs) rock. He gets back a cucumber. He starts to take a bite of it. He throws it back at the scientist. He shakes the edge of his cage. He's pissed. Because he's getting cucumbers yeah. for the same price that this other guy's getting grapes. And those are two yeah. monkeys. <laughs> yes, I, I, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. So that's us, right? We've, we've got that in our DNA. We have that sense of fairness uh, deep in our systems. And I don't think, uh, and I think religions are kind of just, you know, suitcases for these ideas. But the, the, but the ideas are deep in our, in our bones, I believe. But it's about how you manifest them, right? It's about it's about what behaviors are actually the best behaviors to manifest these ideals. Um, and there's a large gap between a person's genetic code and the way that they behave. And people who believe that you can predict how a person will behave based on their genetics are eugenicists. <laughs> That's not where I'm going with this at all. You cannot make that tie, but you can only say these are our genes and then we can record the behaviors and then that's it. That's all you can do. Look at the genes, look at the behavior, record them for several thousand years. And then eventually we'll have a nice picture of what behaviors are best. Um, And I think it's going to be a longer time before we get a picture of what genes are best, even though, you know, arguably you could say that that's the objective goal is to create the best human to have the best genetic code. But like I said, we're a for a long, long way from tracking, from from nailing that horse down, because uh, any efforts we make now would be entirely premature. That's something that's always fascinated me: how mm. the the um, imprints and 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 genes, not just physically, you know, brown eyes and and hair, but um, I remember. When my oldest was very young, I remember her saying something or doing something, and I immediately had a flashback of when I was that age. It's it's nothing that she's ever saw me do or saw me say, but it it was something 
that's imprinted in her that came from me hmm. that made her act or react exactly how I would have. Hmm. Um, it's it's fascinating how how we're designed, man. Where do you how stand? That, Are you Christian, practicing Christian, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic? I don't so, know. So, um, yeah, so I am a Christian. I, I guess I, I, yeah, I can call myself a Christian, but I'm I'm I do not go around and tell people that hey, you're you're on the wrong path mm. or you're not uh you know praising God correctly or talking to God correctly or doing this and I believe it's almost going back to when we were talking about um getting vaccinated or not mm. my body is my body my beliefs are my beliefs your beliefs are your beliefs mm. I I totally celebrate everybody's differences man and if if you want to go to a mosque or if you want to uh do this and this then this is how you you connect with a higher spirit or get in tune with your your inner self more power to you i have absolutely no problem with that now one belief i would imagine you would push against is if i believed that you didn't have the right to exist right if I didn't have the right to exist. No, if I believed that, right? If I sitting here believed that Paul did not actually have the does not actually have the right to exist and every breath you breathe is a theft of people who should be able to breathe without you around. If I believed that, that's a problem for you, right? <laughs> and that, no, that's a, that's a problem for you because that, that that's something that that you're carrying internally. So, yeah, there's some people that have have uh twisted thoughts and wicked thoughts that that's see but to, see i wouldn't even call those things twisted but that's the that's the israeli-palestinian conflict right is that there are people that believe that the jews should not exist as they are they you know they might believe that they should be cast away or not on that particular land or something but that's a you know that's a problem with because i guess what i what i say all that to say is that our freedom of belief in america extends only as far as civil interactions do. So once mm-hmm. I have a belief that prevents me from being civil with you, now that's a problem. Now I'm not, we don't, we say you're not free to believe that. You're not free to believe that I should, or you're not free, at least, at least you're not free to act on that belief, right? If I believed that you shouldn't exist, but I never did anything about it, then there's no, no violation in action and behavior. But once I, once I, you know, go to your, once I start setting your houses on fire, then now that's a problem. And you, you, you're free to internally, you, you're free to do whatever the hell you want. Mm. It's a, mm. it's a lot of a lot of people that that get aroused thinking about children. Mm. Mm. But 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 when you act upon that, now you you you've crossed all type of of lines. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's the that's the responsibility of choice. Right. That's the burden. So when you can believe whatever you want, 
but you cannot act any way you want. You can believe anything, no. but you can't act in your sort of way. And so it's your responsibility to to navigate that space between what you believe and how you act. Yeah. And that's the same thing with with uh, people that that truly in their core believe someone is inferior because of their genetic. Mm. You can believe that you can believe that all you want. But when you come at me with with a with a tiki torch and get in my face, now we mm-hmm. have a problem. I don't care what you believe in, but just keep that in in your household. Keep that in your head. Yeah, I think what we can actually, I think what can unite us uh, as Americans is that okay, if we say if you are American, you have to support the physical safety and the physical health and continued physical health of every other American citizen, regardless of what they believe. Every let's say let's even put a, a finer point on it and say every other law abiding citizen to, to you know, some people. Say, oh, what if you're a murderer? Right. OK. Law abiding law abiding citizen. Um, you have to believe that. Right. So even if I espouse even if I espouse, see, I'm for. I'm for Nazis sending their letter to the city saying, hey, there are about 100 of us that want to march and carry uh, Nazi symbols and tiki torches on the street. But we're going to do it in the you know, we're going to send you a thing and and we just want to walk and we aren't going to touch anybody. We're not going to break anything. We just want to say our piece. I'm for them walking and talking. I think it's horrible. I have no, I have no problem with that. Mm, mm. Yeah, I have no problem with people walking and talking and saying whatever kind of rhetoric they want to yes. say. Yes, terrible, ugly ideas. But walking and yeah. talking—that's that's American. Yeah, that, I'm I'm fine with that. Mm. Mm. Now you, we don't we don't have to show up and listen. Nobody has to show up and listen to them walking and talking and saying whatever they have to say. Yeah, and if I want to show up and yell, <laughs> then I'm going to show up and yell. And if you insist on walking and talking, then I insist on standing and yelling. And that's that's yeah. America. Uh, that's America. And we, and we, yeah, we both can. We both can talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I have no problem with that. Yeah. And the line it, is drawn it, between that. The line is drawn once somebody throws a punch. See, I was all, I was always, and still am, against this punch Nazis thing. No, to me, that's a violation. Once you cross the line into throwing a punch, you're the violator, no matter what they believe, no matter how abhorrent and ugly and terrible their ideas are. If they aren't causing violence, then that's just one thing that we have to hold up and say, look, kids, this idea is ugly as hell. And here's why it's ugly. Right. You have to battle that idea with ideas. You have to battle those words with words. And the reason we do battle with words is because we can. Uh, because we, if we don't do battle with words, we have to do physical battle. We're, we've got to, you know, human beings have to conflict. Human, a human has to have an enemy. Uh, it's my, it's my conviction, and I, I don't think it's unreasonable that every human has to be fighting against something in order to live a good life. It's just about how you conceptualize what you're fighting against. Dr. Martin Luther King was fighting against injustice. Uh, mm-hmm. Mahatma Gandhi was fighting against injustice. Um, who are us are good examples. Elon Musk is fighting against us dying to an asteroid, right? So everybody's fighting against something. Uh, so it's about how you conceptualize that. Uh, and I say that to say that having battles with words, that's what we want. 
We want battles with words, more word battles all the time. What we don't want are the physical battles. We don't want the guns, guns and swords and bombs to come out. That's what we don't want. I mean, well, that was what happened back in, in January, right? A bunch of people were, were out and, and waving flags and talking. And then it turned into, hey, let's let's storm the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a definite line that was crossed. Yep. Yep. And 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 however ugly you think people were talking, or however ignorant you think leadership was in, in inciting things, well within their rights. Yep. To talk and be as ignorant as they wanted. Yep. Have no have no problem with that. It's a lot of ignorant people in the world, but there's a lot of people that just basically just that just have totally different thought patterns than you do. No problem with that. Yeah. But it, it's it's the it's the crossing of the line where the where the problem ensues. And I can't think at any moment that my views are. The I can't right, let me say this. I can't be certain in any moment that my views are the right ones. I think they are. <laughs> you know, I I wouldn't go around saying I thought these things if I didn't think they were helpful. But I'm not certain. I'm not certain. Right. I'm a, I'm a flesh bag on a on a floating orb like the rest of us. Uh, I'm not certain that my <laughs> point of view is the one that's going to lead us to the promised land. I think what I think, you know, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I am wrong about a lot of stuff, uh, you know, for sure, as we all are. We're, there too, we're all wrong about stuff to a certain extent. As a matter of fact, Elon Musk likes to say, uh, make your designs less dumb. <laughs> he says all designs are dumb. Your designs are dumb. What you want to do is make your designs less dumb. And then that's the right track. And so, you know, my ideas are dumb. I'll say that my all my ideas are dumb and I'm just working to make them less dumb. And if, if I, you know, you want to help me make my ideas less dumb, we're friends. If you don't want to help me make my ideas less dumb, we probably aren't going to be friends. But I still wish you physical you and your family, physical safe safety, physical prosperity uh, to the end of your long and fruitful life. Uh, no matter how much we disagree mm-hmm. ideologically, theologically or, or religiously or anything like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think I think that definition of civility can go a long way for uniting uh, America. What do you think of basic income as a as a practice as a as a as a as an economic system? Do you think it's got got some traction? Do you think it could be a thing? Do you think it's an impossibility? Impossible. Impossible, he says. Impossible. Why impossible? Because it, human nature. Hmm. You're, you're always going to have people that that want more, and you're always going to have people that don't give a damn. That would that would it's you're going to have this broad spectrum all the time. Um, you're going to have people that that are going to work their ass off to get more. You're going to have people that cheat to get more, and you're going to have people that are just content. They don't want to do anything. They don't, it that's just it's just human nature, man. Mm. Mm. It, it it something like that would it 
No. I don't I don't I don't see it. If let me think. But what you what you have to do to to follow that train of logic is you have to ascribe a different set of motivations to your neighbors than you yourself have. Right. Because I think you and I know that if you were given a basic income and total attentional autonomy and you if you were given the mechanism such that you never have to sell yourself to anyone in order to pay your bills, that you would go and do good things. I believe that. I think you believe that as well. But and so yes. in, in order to say that basic income won't work or that it's an impossibility because because uh, people just won't live up to it, you have to believe that most other people aren't like you. No, no. Everybody, everybody's different. There's a neighbor walking by. <laughs> My little dog is, is is mad at him for walking as he is. <laughs> so, do you think do you think most people are inherently lazy? I know that's not what you said, but no, no, not most people. Mm. But yeah, there there are some there are people that fall in in, in every different category. What percentage yeah. of people would you say are are more inherently lazy than not? To a to a detriment to a de, to a detrimental extent, right? We're all a little lazy. You got to be a little lazy, right? You got to want to relax. Um, it's entropy, but to a detrimental extent of laziness. Ten percent, fifteen percent, five percent, twenty. I would. 50. I would say. I would say this. Um, everybody that that owns, you know some restaurants and some bars and stuff. Mm. And because the the government has been giving out extra money through this this crisis that we've been going mm-hmm. through, he, he has only been able to staff his establishments at like 60%. Okay. So 40% of the people would rather not work and just be like, Hey, I, I, I get a check for being at home. Hmm. Hmm. But that's just one example of a particular, you know, bracket of income. But yeah, they're, 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 to think that they would not be people that would rather not do anything in life. There are people like that. See, I don't think I think we can I think we can redefine doing. I think we can redefine doing to include choosing where to get your next meal. I think we can redefine doing to include choosing whether to stream this show or that, choosing to play this video game or this other one, right? I think we can define, redefine doing to include those activities such that we can say people who stay at home to the extent that they choose to get the uh, Herb Dean sausages over the Laura Smith sausages, they're doing something by by choosing to get those sausages over the other. Um so that's how it, I, but it yeah it goes back to when we had the the slave residue 
conversation. Mm. Um, that's a lot of damage, man. Yeah, but I'm but not actually, just talking about one, including one particular doing, kind of people. Including doing yeah. stretches, <laughs> but I'm stretching it to those people, right? I'm stretching yeah. it to someone who says, look, really, I just want to look at my phone for five hours a day, eat something, watch a show, take a nap, maybe hang out with my friends. But most days I'm just going to look at my phone, look at random internet things, lay on the couch and watch TV. And maybe I'll work out. Maybe I won't. Some days I'll go to the park. Some days I won't. Whatever. I got a girl that I bone sometimes. Right. This is his, this is his whole outlook on life that most days he's mm-hmm. going to either look at his phone or work out or both and then chill. But even then he's going to have some aspiration. Right. He's going to be I'm going to be a billionaire when uh, you know, I'm going to be a billionaire when my next album drops or I'm going to be a billionaire when my boy who I'm real close to uh, gets a gets a deal and then sports me the money so that I can go, find, you know, something like some sort of convoluted plan like that where everybody else has to get rich and then you can get rich too. Um, who even have those aspirations? I would include that person in the doing <laughs> category because he's going to buy his shirts and his shoes somewhere. He's going to eat from somewhere, right? If you give him a thousand dollars a month, he's going to spend it somewhere. I think that I think that much is actually not even uh, arguable that the poor spend their money. If you give them a dollar, they'll spend a dollar fifty. They'll figure out where to get 50, 50 more cents from. Uh, they it goes. What is it? For every dollar you give to the poor, that's a dollar fifty that goes into the economy somehow. They're taking on debt, I guess. I don't know which is irresponsible. I say all that to say, I would include. Those people that we typically want to call idle lazy, I would include them in the doers because we need to build an economy that factors in the fact that simply paying attention to one thing over another is the current is the economic kernel around which our in our economy rests attention is the one true currency and so paying attention to one thing over another going to one website over another is an economic choice and we can build an economy that factors into that uh, we can build an economy that says okay if you choose facebook Instead of Twitter, in order to do this thing, that's an economic choice, and we we appreciate you making that choice, right? So you're saying, regardless of where all this money goes, it's, it's, it's all going to stimulate the economy in in the long run. Is it all going to stimulate? Is it all going to stimulate the economy? Yes, in the definition mm-hmm. that giving. And that every common person that is living and breathing, every common citizen, and I'm only arguing for American citizens, by the way. So every every citizen that is living and breathing and law abiding, they are the economy. So every Mm -hmm. dollar that you give to them goes directly into the economy because they are the economy. Every every dollar that goes into their pocket has gone into the economy in a meaningful way. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and that, that's what I, I believe. I really do envision a a species that is multi planetary. I envision a species that is actively working on a Dyson sphere and making it better and harnessing the power of this sun so that we can one day become interstellar. Uh, I see us having several 
space stations, uh, not just in the orbit of Earth, but also in the orbit of Mars and throughout the asteroid belt. Uh, and and just we completely dominate this inner ring of rocky planets with several different stations that we can hop to and from within lifetimes. Um, that is to say someone can can wake up and go, you know, one day I'm going to live on Mars and mean it in the same way that if you said one day you want to live in Europe because it was exactly that reachable. Uh, this is something of our of our near our near distant descendants can have a life like this. And by year by near, I'm saying, I don't know, 10 human generations. Right. Comparing us to apes. <laughs> That's what I mean by near. Not like our grandkids are going to get there. It's going to be a while. But still, um, Ten generations. Okay. Something like this, right? Uh, not what we've been. Our anatomical species has been the same. I think we're the same humans that were existing for about 250,000 years. Uh, I think 250,000 years ago, those apes that were walking the African savannas had the exact same biology as we do today. That's my understanding. Um, <clears throat> meaning they well, could if, go ahead. They better do it. They better do it quicker than, than, uh, 10 generations the way that the, the, the planet is being raped and destroyed. True, true. true. <laughs> uh, I anticipate us surviving climate change um, through bunkers and extraplanetary tech. Uh, I just, I see us surviving climate change in, in, I, I also see it as an unnecessary hardship, <laughs> right? We could, we could either survive it climate change as a, hard hard fought one billion people or mm-hmm. we could survive climate change as a difficult but not impossibly fought five billion people right or something like this that's that's the, the spectrum that i see us dealing with climate change i see us getting through it um but i just either see us getting it through it in a very very hard way in which we lose a lot more people than we need to lose uh, or in a somewhat effective way as long as uh, what elon musk said on the last joe Rogan podcast was we'll survive climate change as long as we don't act like we're going to survive climate change right as long as we act like it's going to wreck us and we get our butts in gear and make sure it doesn't then we'll be fine but if we don't do that we won't be fine i would agree with that yeah yeah i like I, if you can't already tell i'm a huge elon musk fanboy <laughs> yeah i would i would agree with that Good. Like all the all the information I get, I'm like it's 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 horrible. Like the 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 way we our damn like our the water levels. Yep. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I sit here like, and I and I I think about like when I'm gone and 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 what my children and, and grandchildren will be going through and what their lives will be like. And, hmm. and I think about that stuff all the time. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's responsible of you. Uh, I think that's a, that's responsible and forward thinking. Uh, it's, it's a strange thing to be a waking um, animal on a floating orb. And we don't know why. It's a strange thing to be here. Uh, and so to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just take it for granted. You don't, you don't want to just say, oh, this is just the way things are. And then not think about how your actions uh, and our actions 
are making a difference for our children and grandchildren the same way that our grandfathers and our grandmothers and our forebears, the choices that they made are directly affecting us uh, every day. And so we're, we're part of a long continuum of our species. I'm a pro, and I'm a pro humanist. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a human chauvinist. Uh, I, I don't care inherently about the butterflies and the worms and the dolphins and the trees, but I care about those things to the extent that they, that they're keeping us alive and we don't know how fragile the ecosystem is. And so we can't just tear it down. That's the first time I've ever heard that term, a human chauvinist. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a human chauvinist. If a bear came at me at court, I would tell that bear to shove it and ask a bailiff to shoot it if it was attacking me. Yeah, we we were out to uh, to lunch. A, a cousin came in town from from the Carolinas, so of course we we always try to opt for outside seating because of the stupid virus. Makes right? sense. Yeah. Um, so there was a, a pesky bee and my daughter's like, no, don't, don't kill, <laughs> don't kill the bee. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, we're, we're, we're trying to eat. I'm like, so what I did was I, I, I trapped the bee in a glass mm. and I took the glass and I put it at another table. And so that, that was our, our happy compromise. That's so very we, nice. When we're done, then we'll let the bee go. So I, so I won't kill the bee so the flowers can get pollinated and, <laughs> and life very, can go on. That's very nice of you. Uh, in that situation, I kill the bee and I say, <laughs> by that bee coming into our space, it declared war on us. And I defend it. <laughs> so... I, I consider an insect being within, I don't know, 10 feet of me, uh, a, a, a declaration of war. You have declared war, little bug, and I'm much bigger than you. So it, it's almost like the, the human stepping on your property and you can shoot them. I'm also stand your ground a little bit. Uh, of course, Trayvon's case, Trayvon's case was atrocious because this guy, I think he was on the sidewalk, right? He was following Trayvon around, around the city on the sidewalk. So the, to me, that's not stand your ground. Um, I'm, yeah, all, he, I'm all for... He followed him for a while. Yeah, yeah, he was following around for a while. So I'm all for if, if there's somebody in your house at 3 a.m., you don't even have... If you see, just shoot, just fire into the darkness, right? I'm for that. Uh, I'm for... Of people oh, being yes. able to being people being able to protect themselves where they live, um, yeah, yeah. Especially when it's especially now when in the case of when it's a human versus a human, it's com- it's more complex. But if it's a human versus yeah. a non-human, and um, I don't I don't really care. So I I look at it like this: eventually, right? Eventually, we're gonna live in space stations. Eventually, we're gonna live on planets where we're just inside of the areas that we've made for us right living on mars isn't about walking around nude on the surface in the elements of mars that's not what living on mars is living on mars is living inside of a habitat built from resources either transported to the planet or maybe gathered up on the planet and converted into something habitable and then being inside of a spacesuit and then being inside of something else we've created so that's what living on mars is right living on living on places other than earth means living inside of environments completely constructed from ideas in our minds and it's 
you know, to the extent that we can create symbiotic relationships with plants and animals, all for it, right? But I'm only for those things in the service of our species. If we could do it without those other living things, fine, fine by me. Um, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to, cause you have to, you have to cut your, your limit of care off somewhere. Um, you can't care about everything equally. That's not a realistic position. I feel like there might be some on the, on the modern left that do think that they can care about everything. Uh, you can't, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just not possible. You can't care about everything. There are way more things than, than your ability to care extends to. So you have to prioritize. Um, an example, but, but, but mm-hmm. most living, but most living things on this planet have a purpose and a place with other living things. Yes, yes, we which are is, currently, which all, tri- which all trickles down to humans. Eventually. Yes, yes, we are currently in an ecosystem in which we don't know yeah. which card causes the whole house to fall. Currently. Yes. Yes, that's true. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And so I don't go, you know, I wouldn't go kill a hundred bees for no reason. <laughs> but if that single bee, that old warrior bee, that old want to make trouble bee shows up, well, you just signed your death warrant. And so now other bees that don't have so much of a death wish, they're going to be the ones breeding. And that's a better species of breed that I, bee that I want anyway. I want the bees that don't come into my space. No. Yeah. So uh... I don't have a problem taking a newspaper to a bee that has landed on my lap. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, Our barriers I of closeness do, are just a little different, that's all. Yeah, I, I do have a problem with, uh, for instance, when they first built the, the railroads going out west. Mm. And for entertainment, people would lean out the windows of the rail cars and, and shoot buffalo mm. just, just hundreds and hundreds of buffalo just just because mm. Mm. that there's a distinct difference between sh- killing a live, live, living animal that's just in its habitat or something that may sting me on my leg yes i agree with that i agree with that Cause that that buffalo, look, you're on the train. That buffalo is walking around. That buffalo is not a threat to you. It's not a threat to the train, right? But, but uh, buffalo's not thinking about you. Buffalo's yeah. not thinking about you, right? <laughs> that buffalo's gonna live his life, and that train's gonna get where it's going. Uh, yeah, yeah. So when I kill an insect for coming into my space, it's because okay, now you're a threat to me. I don't know what you're carrying, and if you bite, you're gonna give it to me. So that's how I look. But I will, I will go that extra 10 feet and say, okay, if there's a bee within 10 feet of me, <laughs> die, bee, die. <laughs> what are you into these days? What are you, what are you finding enjoyable? What are you liking these days in terms of, could be, I don't know anything. What's, what's something that you're excited about recently, whether it be a style of, I don't know, a new, a new company that's making new paint. I don't know. Whatever, what, what are you excited about? Oh, what am I excited about? I am excited about like I, I always get excited about introducing my art to different audiences. Mm. So, so you've got some shows coming up. 
I, I get excited about being in new spaces. I get excited about collaborating with different people, different companies. That 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 gets my juices flowing. Mm. I I get I get excited about watching my older children progress in life. Even when they like really mess up and bump their heads, like I get excited about the possibilities of them learning Hmm. a valuable life lesson. Those things excite me. Great, that's great. Um, but yeah, that's, you've got, what do you, you got a 22 and 18, uh, oh no, uh, Aaron would be, did she make 20? Yeah, she made 27. So she's 27. Robin is 24. Next week. Preston will be 22. In December, Layla will be 10. 27, 24, 22, and 10. Yeah. Good numbers yeah. for 2021. Yeah. What would you say is, or, or what are a couple of lessons, as someone who's planning uh, to bring kids into this earth uh, as soon as possible here, what what was something that you learned parenting that uh, wasn't part of the manual? And I'm saying that tongue in cheek. I know there's no manual. Well, what, so what are something you learned that wasn't just ever explained to you and you just had to learn from experience? Um, so there, there's a distinct difference when, when we were talking about generations and stuff. Mm. Um I get into these talks with my mother and there's a, there's a distinct difference between, Hey, I was raised this way and it was good enough for me and I'm just going to do this. And and it just goes from generation to generation to generation to generation. Mm. Um, I, You know, being a very observant person and and try to get as much information as I can, and I'm a people people watcher. Mm. Um, so I don't necessarily just do everything that I'm, my parents did, or I ever believe everything my parents did. I take the things that I thought were really, really good for me in my development. And I pass that along. I take the things that I thought were not that great for my development. And I either deleted them or changed them. Hmm. So you got to understand that you are the first example for your, for your offspring. So you want to pour as much as you can into that into that being right hmm. um, and just hope 
that more of you and your partner are going into that being and not just other sources being poured in. Because mm. a lot of people that their their lives are so busy, their kids spend more time in other people's hands than they do with their parents. I know that's the truth. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's it's like it's it's they absorb information, like especially those those first five years, they absorb so much information. And you want to make sure that the information that they're getting is from you. Hmm. So with a with a young child, you just want to have them on your hip pretty much every moment you can have them on your hip. Just have them with you, you doing what you're doing. You want to make sure that you are spending a lot of quality time with that person. Hmm. And, and you want to make sure... That it's just not just time. Like, are we just sitting here watching a cartoon? Every, like, I promise you, like, every moment is, it's a teachable moment, like, every day. Mm. Every, every hour. To be, and, and it doesn't have to be, like, school instruction. It's just, well, it sounds I remember, like you're talking about it in the way of your teaching that human that young human how to be a human which is a true lesson in every moment <laughs> yes i mean I'm, 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 it's 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 uh it's a difference between um an example riding in the car with a very 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 young aaron okay and listening to jazz, right? Okay. Um, the child can say, hey, we're listening to music. Or that child can say, hey, I hear a trumpet. I hear drums. I hear a bass. How do they know that? Because you told them what they're listening to. Mm. It, it's 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 not just surface level anything. That's that. Those are those first years. It's like you you somebody like a uh, like my wife would tell Layla something, and she'll say so and so and so and so. And Layla will say, okay. And I and I know that one or two of those words are outside of her vocabulary. Mm. She just said, okay, because she kind of understood the context of it, right? Mm. And I would say, hey, Layla, do you know what so-and-so-so means? No. And I'll give her the meaning of that word. Not, not just trying to understand. That, that, that's every moment. Is is a is an opportunity to enrich and enhance and to take a step forward. 
and it sounds it sounds nerdy. It does sounds sounds true to me. It 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 really you are really truly adding layers and layers and layers and layers to a person. Hmm. More layers than their peers may have. That's just one aspect. What would you say were the best traits that you had about yourself that brought this style of teaching about? Were you, were you, was it patience? Was it understanding? Uh, so yeah. So part of me is a patient person hmm. and part of me is not. So some stuff I got from admiration of my grandfather who wasn't a very patient person hmm. um, because he used to help me with my homework when I was young. And if you didn't know the answer right immediately, he just thought you were stupid. Mm. Um, and this was the, then this goes back to like, hey, I, I took things that I thought worked good for me and I used them. And things that, I, that made me feel bad, I did not use them. Um, but I am, it's something about knowledge and having knowledge. that was very attractive to me as a young person. So, and it could be little things, little things to big things. And I, and I think you you, you said something about, uh, you, you pretty much are who you are by the age of 25. And I, and, and I said, Hey, the, the core of you is, hmm. but I think that we are like, eternal students mm. and we're always learning and we're always evolving at least you should be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, it's that thinking in me that I hope translated to my offspring where it's like hey every day is a teachable day Every day is a step closer to being a better person. What I like to carry around, and and I hope that it will translate to some of that type of thinking, uh, is that it seems that the very fact of being a choosing person is the gift, right? When we talk about the gift of life, the, the the ability to feel like you're choosing one thing or another that is the gift <laughs> that's it you've you've got the gift what is the gift is it your left hand or your right is it a glass of water or is it a glass of soda is it a burger or is it a salad that's the gift of life mm-hmm. um, yeah and every moment is an opportunity for that every single one right yeah yeah I would agree. Would totally agree. And I, I think more people need to take take advantage mm. of every day and every day. Like they'll let so much time pass. I, I, I never wanted to be the person that that I say I wish I would have or I, I should have tried that. 
or I wonder what would have happened. Or I should have started sooner. That's the boat I'm yeah. in right now. I am certainly in that boat. I'm in I'm in the financially and economically economically thinking, I'm in that I should have did this. I should have started sooner with these thoughts, but that's another part of exposure. Uh, certain things, not having access to certain things when you're younger, mm. or just not having the the knowledge anyway, or, the, or you know the the people in front of you don't have that knowledge. You know what that makes me think of? Wow, that made me think of a situation where, what if it's true that on the seventh time you're exposed to a phenomenon, you act on it, right? On average, seventh, right? And let's say Johnny was exposed to this phenomenon of investing in the stock market seven times by the time he was seven years old. So at eight years old, he had his first uh, 401k that he was controlling on his own, right? Or it was, you know, proxy through his parents, but it was his name was on it. Um, mm-hmm. at eight years old, whereas Marcus was exposed to trading on the stock market once when he was 18, once when he was 25, once when he was 30, and four times when he was 37. And then now he's 38 and he's opening up his first 401k. They both responded. <laughs> <laughs> in seven <laughs> exposures the difference is when those exposures came exactly that makes a big difference right who who you who you talk to and who talks to you makes a huge difference in who you are as a matter of fact i crossed paths with the guy years ago i carried to the day he said uh so i was in my early 20s so he was an older gentleman playing the role of a you know father you know father-ish figure, you know, pointing a young young man the ropes. I appreciate it. It was a nice conversation. But he said, uh, look, you tell me who your friends are and you tell me what books you read and I'll tell you who you are. And I took that hit me in the heart. I said, oh, wow, I hang out with a bunch of jerks. And I was hanging out with a bunch of jerks at the time <laughs> and I didn't read nothing. Mm. So I said, "Ooh, that's rough. That's a rough outlook for me right now. Mm. That's deep. But it is. It, I would say that that uh, ninety percent of the time that that's it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there, you know that. But I, because of the person I was, I hung out with a broad spectrum of people. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I I played sports, so I hung out with the jocks and pretty good in school. So and you've got you've got I, an artistic. You see the world through an artistic lens as well. Yeah, so I had like these packets of people that I hung with, and then I didn't have a a whole lot of fun outside of school with you know the the honor students. So I I had thugs that were my friends that I hung with because they were more fun to hang with. Hmm. So it was yeah, it was a lot of times that is true. Do you think that art should do anything? What do you th- what do you think art is? And I'll just uh, so my my overarching idea for art is that art is expression um 
and that every expression, <clears throat> every expression is a work of art, except that not everyone thinks of every expression as a work of art. So the, what I'm thinking of is, is, uh, John Smith. John Smith tried to be, let's say, a professional baseball player when he was 18. Uh, he didn't succeed. Uh, he didn't, he almost got into the triple leagues, but then he hurt his knee and he just fell back. And now he's a, uh, mid-level C-sharp database manager, uh, at some large company that does some stupid thing. Uh, and so, and, but he's got a wife, he's got a couple of kids and he lives his life this way. And so John never, and then let's say he lives in the old age and dies surrounded by his grandchildren. John never thought of his way of living as art, but in fact, it was in fact, every, so this is Nietzsche's aesthetic living. Every action he did was a work of art such that your life lived in its entirety is a tapestry, is a unique woven tapestry that you wove in your time. That's yours. That's your contribution. That's your, that's your story. One, the story that you added. We're all adding stories, right? The, you could say that the humanity is one long collective story or one collection of stories. And each one of us are adding a story to it, to this large collection. And every action you choose, you, that's what you're choo- how you're choosing to add to this work of art that is all of our lives. That's how I think of art as in the largest category and then bringing it down. You go into the, you know, the more specific colloquial, right? Sculpture, painting, movie, just so we can be understood in conversation. But in the abstract, everything's art. Everything you do is art in the abstract. What do you think? What do you think of that idea? So I I think people don't realize art is all around you Hmm. all the time. Like the whatever you're sitting on right right now somebody mm. designed that mm. that that just doesn't come into being mm. that was on somebody's uh-oh hold on one second you all right headphones were going out you're good you're good you said uh that was in somebody's I said that was in that was in somebody's uh, computer, and mm. and and they sat there on in uh, Photoshop and and in design and mm. and worked on it for hours. And people look at at things as as practical items mm. that are actually pieces of art. That's oh my gosh! That changes the way you look at the that changes that is you've li- Paul you've changed the way I'm looking at the room that I'm in right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Crazy. Every yeah, everything that's around you. So like, it wasn't just it just didn't just manifest. See, I never thought of it for years. I've been thinking of everything around you as a 
product of some human endeavor, right? And this is, this is a point that I've been pushing people to say, Hey, you know, when you drive up the block and you see that green box that's on the side of an intersection, it's just green metal and you, you don't think too much about it, but you see one every, you see probably, you probably see, you've probably seen 20 today, right? <laughs> But you don't think much about it. Somebody put that there. That's not just there randomly, right? Somebody knows it's there and put it there. That's the work of someone. You know, every light pole, every building. Buildings don't buildings don't grow naturally from the ground. Somebody has right. to think about uh, a location, and somebody has to imagine that building and and want it there and need it there and have the money and be able to pay the workers and put it up and the workers need to be able to do it right and so on and so forth. There's a lot that goes into a building appearing. It's, it's not a tree. It doesn't just show up. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but it's art. It is, isn't yeah. it? I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And it is, it's, one person or 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 team people that that sat down and designed that and and urban planners got involved and said hey this in this particular uh part of the city you know we have to use these type of materials and think of these materials while you're designing and it is and it's not just the glass curvy ones or the particularly <laughs> artful ones, right? It's even the just the brown square ones. It's the government yeah. buildings, right? Those are art too. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly is. Could you have been an architect in another lifetime? I don't know. I I, I um I admire architects hmm. and uh it, it was a it was a series that was on netflix called um what was it called it wasn't called something not outrageous homes but it was these beautifully unique homes that were designed like all around the world and yeah i can see myself if I had that that talent and that ability to want to, the world's create. most extraordinary homes. Yeah, oh yes, that's it. That's it. It's a, it's a great show. You, you're talking about mixing the the practicality of 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 a living space, but design wise and 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 art wise just taking stuff to an, another level. It's a beautiful show. Hmm. I bet you these people will blow Cy Twombly out the water. <laughs> Throw another rocket old Cy. I tell you, his, it's, ch it's, children, it's children's scribble. This guy draws pencils and circles and crayon. And I don't know how much people pay for it, but you know, hey. t see, to me, so even though even though I, I just made the argument that in the abstract, every action taken by a person can be described as art. Going back to your earlier point, there's a difference between good art and bad art. And so if your actions are thoughtless, if your actions are rote and unintentional, 
if you're just if you're just going with the flow and not even thinking about it, that's bad art to me. Um, yeah, to me, that's bad art. Uh, you want to be doing good art. You want to be thinking about what you're doing and doing it with intention. Uh, don't let it be accidental what you do. You know, don't don't let the luck of birth define you. Um, Exdemont and Jenna said it said it beautifully. She said uh, she said, you know, your genetics describe you they don't define you um and so you know take take you come up with your own definition i would say and i think that's good art when people say when people think about you know for instance i'm getting married and or, or i'm already married take uh i'm married in the eyes of god in the eyes of the state but we're we delayed our party because of covid uh and so we're just now having our party right now and uh i'm participating in the match tradition i'm <laughs> this is a weird one for me because i i buck a lot of traditions i don't say bless you when people sneeze uh which is one i've yet to get pushback on but i anticipate i'll get pushback one day maybe i never will i don't know but i'm participating in the matches in the wedding matches i wait, didn't wait 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 who who would give you pushback on saying bless you when you sneeze no i don't say it no no i'm saying if who like who says who gets upset that you don't say Hey, you didn't say bless you. I'm waiting. Nobody has. Nobody oh, okay. has. <laughs> okay. I'm. I'm. Every time somebody sneezes around me and I intentionally don't say bless you, I'm on edge for it. I'm on edge for that. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna pun- give me a little social punishment for not participating in this social <laughs> tradition that everybody participates in? Um, it hasn't happened yet. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm looking out for it. Um, I've already prepared my response. I'll practice right now. Uh, it's not that I'm not blessing you. I don't bless anything. That's my pre- that's my prepared response. Uh, oh, that's that's yeah. funny. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a blesser, right? I don't bless chicken. I don't bless people. I don't bless water. I don't bless anything. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get. I guess I can get. I give my blessing. That's not even something that I do frequently. But um, I say that to say. I'm surprised that I'm participating in the match tradition. To me, this seems like a thing that I would have just kicked out once I crossed the, the threshold. But when it came time for me to think about whether I want to participate in wedding matches or not, I was excited. I said, yeah, I want to give little matchboxes with my name on them. Um, but it's I say that to say it's intentional. <laughs> I thought about it. I didn't just do it because people do it. I thought about not doing it or or whether I wanted to. And I want to. I think matches are very useful. And it's such a cool thing. I mean, I still see matchboxes from year from weddings that I've been to years ago. Uh, and mm-hmm. it just reminds me of the day. And when I pick up that old matchbox that I haven't a friend I haven't spoke to in, in let's say a couple months, and I pick up the the matchbox from their wedding, I give them a call. So it keeps my relationships alive having those little matchboxes around. And I would want people to see a box of matches with mine and my wife's name on it in twenty twenty seven and go, you know what? I should call Kari. Yeah, that, to me that's a good thing. What's your, what's your wife's name? Lorraine. Lorraine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Uh, yeah, and so that's I. I say all that to say, you know, I. That's to me, that's good art. Good art is when you think about what you're doing, uh, whether it goes with the trends or not, whether it bucks the trends or not. The important part is you thought about it and you did it with intention. I think people should live with intention. I think that that should be yeah, all aspects of my life. Hmm. And we, we we should wake up every day mm. 
with 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 some type of intention and with, with some type of, of of you know idea of of what are we planning on uh achieving that day hmm. what would you say paul to the young aspiring artists out there to the young aspiring professionals out there that want to want to get into your game uh, that want to do what you do, what would you what would you say to them uh, in order to point them on the right track? It's it's always about um, what I what I call developing your voice. Hmm. So we, we, naturally we are influenced and and sort of replicate people that we admire. Um. But the more that you practice, the more you want to say, well, how do I want to create things differently? And, and you get to a point where you're, you're creating something or, you, or you're making marks that are distinct to you. Like where I can, I can look at something and be like, oh, yeah. Kari created this without your name being on it. Just because I've gotten so used to seeing your marks and your your form of expression that it becomes uniquely yours. That's that's what you want to work toward. Hmm. And it, and it's not something that happens overnight. So it's, it's nothing to get frustrated about. But you got to put the work in. I actually think that applies presciently to YouTube, to YouTubers as well. Uh, I know young people who really want to be YouTubers or Twitch streamers or this is kind of the world that, that I float around. And so they want to know, how you know, how do I get my how do I grow my stream? How do I grow my channel? Um, and I think what you just said applies is that go out there. Do you. And fi- and find yourself, right? And it's only going to come through searching. It's not going to happen instantaneously, right? It, it takes yeah. effort and repeated effort and and experimentation and probably some good measure of failure. Uh, I had a YouTube channel for a while. It uh, for it really wasn't worth the effort at the level of the amount of views I was getting and the amount of hours I was spending making those videos. I said, you know what? This is not worth the effort. But there was another guy. Sometimes I can think of his name. Sometimes I can't. I can't think of his name right now. But there was another guy who was on my server. So we were on a server together playing this. It was a Minecraft channel. And we were playing this Minecraft mod pack. And that guy didn't give up. He kept going. And today he's one of the top 10 Minecraft YouTubers. uh, Just because he didn't give up. Just because he kept going. Uh, Yeah. Now, does he have... Is there something that's unique about the way he goes about it or that yeah i would say that his his lane so he's so he's an uh, a veteran and he's married Mm -hmm. and so his lane is a mature minecraft player right he's not 
super bouncy, exciting, blah, 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 all over the walls. You know, for kids, there are a lot of Minecraft YouTubers that are like that because there are a lot of the audience is kids, right? And they like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but mm-hmm. he's not, that's not who he is. He's very calm. He's, like I said, he's ex military. He just loves the game and his wife comes in and plays with him a lot. And he does, and just his, his, his calmness, his maturity, I think translated and his continued striving and working on his art was what translated into him kind of carving a lane for himself. And I think it is unique. I think it is unique. You know, there aren't that, there aren't that many mature Minecrafters. <laughs> a lot of it's really over the top and, and for kids. And so to, uh, for the adult Minecraft community, which I'm very proud to be a part of, um, we don't have that many choices. And so uh, I, I, I wish I could think of his name. I'd be giving him a shout out right now. It's Is it Dr. Something or Mr. Something? I don't know. Like I said, I think of it half the time and half the time I don't. Uh, but he kept it up. He kept it up and he, he discovered, I think he discovered his voice in the way that you're talking about. And his audience just kept growing and growing. Yep. Yep. That's good. Good. I think you. I think you kind of narrowed it down to with uh, Doctor Something or Mister Something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Gosh, because <laughs> I actually told somebody about it last year, and ah, I'm not gonna think of it now. But I remember our uh, our was called Project. It was our the server we were both on was called Project Minoid. Uh, it was a stupid name. It was actually a decent mod pack, to be absolutely fair. Um, it was, yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice mod pack. Uh, was it Wells Knight? It might have been Wells Knight. I think it was. Yeah, I just actually was able to Google Project Minoid, and Wells Knight was the first one that came up. So I think it was Wells Knight. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. It was Wells Knight. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was Wells Knight, and he was. He was, we were both on a server and he wasn't even running it. I don't think, I think it was somebody else was running it, but, uh, he just kept it up. Yeah. He just kept it up and he kept going. And now I think he's been on, yeah, he's been on Hermitcraft for a long time. Looking at his channel, he's now transitioned into a lot of Binding of Isaac, which is surprising. Uh, but Hermitcraft was one of the biggest Minecraft channel, one, one of the biggest Minecraft servers to exist, uh, in the community up until I want to say Dream SMP overtook it. Um, which is fine. You know, you know, uh, champions aren't champions forever. Uh, currently the biggest server in Minecraft is Tortilla Land, the Spanish server community. Um, they are just killing it right now. I don't know what's going on in Spain, but they are loving them some Minecraft and I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Minecraft's my favorite game of all time. Have you ever played video games? Were you ever into games? Uh, used to be hmm. years ago. Yeah. So no, it it video games dwindled out of my life when I found myself. Uh, man, I spent so much of my my life uh, after I started my family like living this dual lifestyle mm. where it was like, I'm doing this nine to five after nine to five, um, family time after family time. As soon as the kids go to sleep, I'm up painting and I'm, I'm up writing. 
and it was almost like working two jobs. Mm. Mm. So it wasn't, I didn't have a whole lot of idle time. No, that's so, fine. That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. Video games became like less and less and less and less and less in my adult life. Yeah. But I watched them play. Watched them play video games. Yeah, yeah. Video games are my uh, video games are my my art. Um, so I think that I think that life after existence. Uh, first, you recognize your own existence. You recognize that you do exist and that you can't doubt your existence. That's what Rene Descartes did for us. But then, as soon as you recognize that you exist, I think it sucks. <laughs> I think the first, I think the first feeling is, ah, this this sucks, right? I didn't, I didn't ask to be put down here. Nobody, nobody asked me my permission to make me a human on Earth. Nobody, nobody said, hey, you want to do this human on Earth thing? Now, a lot of people like to say that they believe that that's the case well but they can't draw that memory very well can they uh so as far as they know they just popped out of a woman one day uh as all of us have and so that's fine uh and so then there are different ways of reacting to the baseline suffering of existence and one of the ways is to distract yourself uh now there are different schools of thought that will say oh you shouldn't distract yourself you should dive into it right you should you should actually bear bear the suffering of life head on and go head on into it now i am partial to that line of argumentation but after that to me heading in quote unquote heading into the suffering of life i ask you this what are you heading into what is it that you're going into when you're leaning into the suffering of life and you say oh well i'm really into giving my time to help the homeless and I just go volunteer everywhere and I just help people. I would say, okay, I would say you're by doing that, you're successfully leaning into life. And that is in itself a way of distracting you from the feeling of the suffering by leaning in. Uh, and so I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not given to the argument that some ways of leaning in are not distractions Whereas other ways of leaning in are distractions. To me, that's very arbitrary, those distinctions. Why is, why is your way of leaning in a, a, not a distraction, but then my way of leaning in is a distraction? <laughs> Would, uh, uh, no, 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 no. I push back against that, right? And so I say, I say lean in. And if you like it, that's kudos to you. It's not a distraction if you're having fun, right? If you're enjoying yourself, that's your meaning. Let let your meaning come from enjoyment. That's what I've been leaning into these days. Um, I said all that to say, life sucks. So what do you do when life sucks? Just do something else, right? Just do something else. Do whatever you want. Uh, do something that captures your whole attention. Uh, and for me, that's video games. Uh, yeah. And so that I, so I, you know, I taught myself to write code and I build video games and I watch video games and I think about video games. I love video games. Yeah, you have to have a good balance. And that, and that gives you balance. Having a, what you call a distraction. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. See, I think, but I think they're all can be distractions, right? So when I read about the distraction bit, I go, yeah, that's a good reaction. Uh, but then I found myself saying, but what, what isn't 
distraction. Isn't everything distraction, quote, depending on how you look at it, right? It's kind of like the, uh, the freedom from and freedom to distinction. So a lot of people will say, oh, well, there are two types of freedom. There's freedom from and there's freedom to. So you have a freedom from tyranny and you have a freedom to expression or something like this. But I think that every freedom to can be described as a freedom from. And every freedom from can be described as a freedom to, meaningfully described. And so to me, that nullifies the distinction. There's no distinction between a freedom from and a freedom to, because every action can be described in both ways, meaningfully, I would argue. Uh, and so I think that every action that you do to, you know, if you want to call it alleviate the suffering of life or, or, you know, anything you do, anything you get into, any, anytime you begin to enjoy something, somebody, some hater can say, you're distracting yourself simply because you're enjoying something. Uh, but let the haters hate. That's what I would say. <laughs> enjoy what you enjoy, right? If, if you're someone who really loves barbecuing, barbecue all the time. That's terrific. I, I can't argue that. <laughs> Not at all. So video, so video games and art—that's that's what we, that's what we're bringing to the world. Yeah, and you brought and children. I think, I think I'm it's, a, be I think it's a beautiful I thing. I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Well, I appreciate uh, your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and an honor, and I hope we'll see each other soon. I hope the same thing. Um, I, I've enjoyed the conversation. It's been a great time. Love you, Paul. Yeah. Love you too, man. Bye-bye. Bye.